three, two, one, and we're live. You're tuning into Cosmic Children. I'm your host, Kevin. And today, we have a very interesting group in the studio. Um, we have a recurring guest, Ping Seng. And Hello. we have another one of his bandmates, Patty. Hello. So, and together, you guys are? My life. life. With two, <laughs> with the two, one, other, two other guys. <laughs> You don't really see them much, <laughs> but uh, they show up sometimes. So, for, for, for folks who have not heard of you guys, what is Mount Life? What do you guys do? And tell us a bit of, a little bit about yourself. Um, we are Mount Life with the ones. So, it's spelled M1LD, okay. L1FE. Yep. Uh, we're from Singapore <laughs> and we do indie music mm. and memes. <laughs> Sometimes more memes than music. Do you concur, Patty? Yes. Do you agree with his yeah. synopsis of the band? Pretty much, that's it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so b- before I move on, I really have to ask: Who did? Who does your your Instagram profile? Who does the posting? Because it's I saw me. pretty pretty good um Peppa Pig yeah. <laughs> video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was Pink's. That was me. Yeah. Okay. What was the inspiration behind that? And is that a proper summation of what my life is? No lah, I don't think it's a pro- It's what we are. Mm-hmm. I mean, the memes are just something that everyone in the band sort of gets into and we laugh about this kind of shit all the time. Mm. Um, but I think musically, um, we, we're out to make stuff that is very auditory. It gives a lot of like, nice auditory stimulation, you know? <laughs> Sounds very scientific. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, this is just stuff that's fun to play and fun to listen yeah, to. Yeah, mm. as well. Yeah. I think it's mainly that fun to play and fun to listen to. Because when we first started playing together, that was pretty much like the, the the what do you call it, the impetus to playing together. Anyway, yeah. mm-hmm. um, we started playing when we were still in university. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was a late addition to the band. Before that, they had other singers. Yep. Um. And I wasn't even from the same uni. They were all NUS guys. Mm. I was from NTU. Did they ostracize you because of that? P- pretty much. Okay. I'm yeah, still we, under probation, by the way. Oh, dear. Yeah. There's actually yeah. a, another WhatsApp group. Mm. And Paddy's not inside. Okay. Yeah. And every time he Paddy does bad things, we will like talk about it inside. <laughs> so you guys group. have to greet him after each song or each yeah. performance? Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I, I st- I'm still not a full member. <laughs> so <laughs> when w- w- when will he get his, his, his card? I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> Remains to be seen. <laughs> So you 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 said um you were a late addition um I believe Mao Life used to be called Take Two. Mm-hmm. Can you just explain a little bit of the story behind it and why why the need to change? Is it common for for bands to change like an image because they want to put out a new 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 piece or new set of music? Oh damn! I think one of the main reasons probably was uh we had a member who was going to leave the band, mm. and uh, so John was the was our previous guitarist. Yep. And so he wanted to maybe in a way just move on with his life. Uh, So that was just one of the reasons why we wanted to change the name because we know the sound was going to change slightly already. Okay. Yeah. Actually, before that, we wanted to change it also. True, true, true. The very first EP. So you guys wanted to change the sound after putting out the first EP? Um, Is that it? So because it basically was a change in singer, Mm. right? As Take Two. Mm. So I came on board. And then we thought, we dabbled with the idea of like, oh, maybe we should change the name. Yep. Um, because, you know, it's like a different face and a different voice. Yep. Fronting mm-hmm. it. 
But then we got kind of scared because at, at the time, the band already had sort of like a following yep. yeah. within the, the, the college circuit in NUS. College circuit, I, wow. Actually, I don't even know if we can call it that in Singapore. It's like how many colleges in Singapore? Yep, yep. Um, okay, la, got la. A few, a few. <laughs> yeah. We also did gigs in SMU. Yeah. Right. Mm. So uh, we we were playing in inverted commas, some kind <laughs> of a college circuit. Yeah. So you guys were pseudo famous. No, no, no. That, that no, is what no, I hear. Nowhere yeah. near... But well, we at least we felt like we were going somewhere with yeah. the band as the entity known as Take Two. Gotcha. So we were a bit scared, like, oh no, if we change the band name now with yep. that, you know. I remember you um specifically saying it's sort of like a middle finger to the fans, you know, kind of. Right. Been Is that what the two ones two. are? The two ones in my life. Huh? Yes. Yeah. Is that exactly? <laughs> <laughs> I got you it. Got the reference. Yeah. Okay. It's a throwback to the the the, the old name. Yep. Because um. Like, I think people do get quite attached. Uh, when we change the name, people were just like, hey, why you change name? Yep, yep. Like, and um, so, uh, and I mean, another part of it was also because I did a lot of social, the most of the social media back mm. then. And I was aware that when you change the name, you change the branding, everything is a lot of work, which like, I'll have to work through. And then as like the social media person, you'll be taking like the brunt of it yep. when people start asking you all these questions. Yep. You just be like, oh man, why do you have to change your name? I like Take Two mm-hmm. a lot and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it's more like a different, would you consider Mao Life now to be like a different artistic personality, like collectively? Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah? Yes. So j- just a question from my end. Um, When you guys cover songs or you guys play or perform songs that used to be from Take Two, does it feel like a cover? In any sort of way, because <laughs> yeah, you guys are uh, now like a four-piece band. It used to yeah. be a five-piece. Mm. Yeah, mm. Uh, Do, does it work that way for you guys? Strangely, for okay, I'm not sure as a band. I think a couple of things. Um, number one, I think we've played a lot of these songs so many times that it just feels comfortable already. Yep. Yeah, so it's not so much feels like a cover for me personally. When I first came on board, yes, it did feel like covers because mm. I I didn't write. The, the yep. lyrics to the songs I yep. didn't write the melody so I was singing someone else's song at the yep. time um, so it just took a while for me to like sort of like assimilate mm. with the rest of the guys yep. in that in that regard uh, but yeah I think we just sort of grown comfortable playing these songs to the point where it doesn't feel like a cover more like it's uh, how should I say like a nice throwback yeah yeah Right? Okay. It's like, oh, because there are some songs that we don't really play live from the old Tick 2 catalog mm. nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, and then sometimes we would throw them into our set list. Yep. And it would feel like, oh, hey, hey, remember playing this kind of <laughs> thing? Like, uh, remember yeah, it was man. fun kind of thing. What, yeah. what, how do you guys choose a set list for like a live performance? I'm just particularly curious about it because I do, I have heard of the notion of retiring songs. Mm. Like there are songs that you just don't want to play. It's only open for a limited period of time. So what goes into like a band's decision for something like that? Ooh. Uh, or like y'all throw dice. Okay. <laughs> Couple <laughs> of things. Um, actually, so uh, usually I choose the set lists yep. whenever we have a gig. And the, the th- it's more of like a few things. So number one would be the sort of like energy level of the set. Mm. Sort of like, you know, how a DJ would plan his yep. set throughout the night, yep. right? It's like, you warm up the crowd. Yep. And there are many way, different ways to do it. Sometimes you want to just come in with a bang yep. and like hit people in the face with like a wall of sound. And uh, sometimes you want to like build up to it. So it's like a slow burn. 
sometimes you want to have peaks and valleys at different parts of the set. Yep. Um, so we kind of like take into account the context of each show uh, before we do it. Is it like, um, is it a new audience that we've never played with, played in front of before? Yep. Um, is it going to be like a a homecoming show where we know most of the, the other bands that are playing on the stage as well and the people that are coming mm. to see us? Mm. Um, and also things like, is there new music that you sort mm. of want to impress onto people more? Yep. Right. I know some people like only want to, I mean, personally for us as well, when we go and see shows, yep. like your favorite bands and you're like, oh man, I hope they play this old song. Yep. Or you could be the other side of like, oh, I hope they play this new song. Mm-hmm. Right. That kind of thing. So it's sort of like um, taking into account all these sentiments mm. from other people and yourself as well. Sometimes you have more fun playing certain songs on stage yeah. than others. And um, it's always better if you play the songs that you have fun playing live. So that sort of energy gets transmitted to the crowd as well. Yep. Yeah. So I guess uh, according to what you said, choosing a set list between like a new crowd and an old crowd is totally different. Mm. S- sometimes it's the same. We And and sort of like when you, as you experiment with different set lists and trying different orders and different songs and different arrangements, sometimes you sort of have like a fixed, like, okay, we know this works. Like these two songs always go together. Yeah. We always play them next one after another. Do you have an example? Uh, Luna and In Your Arms. Because the BPM is very close, right? Yeah. Okay. Is, yeah. So is it, is it more technical or is it just more vibe? Uh... Um, technical, Both, technical yeah. in the sense that one song is one twenty-two beats per minute, sure. and the next song is one twenty beats per minute. Okay, so it's pretty close. And then vibe-wise, um, they are both uh, groovy, dancey songs, but different kinds of grooves. So one is like Luna is like a bit more like the eclectic, yeah, um, kind of like a what kind of beat? Would you describe like a, it? a bit of like a Latin, Latin beat, yeah, Latin yeah. feel to it. Right, right, yeah. Which is can be kind of, I wouldn't say dissonant, but it's not as um, easily catchable as a straight beat that In Your Arms is. It's just like a four, 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 one, two, three, four, a straight beat. Okay. Yeah. You kind of lost me on the music jargon. Like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's sort of like, um, like, okay, maybe to put it a bit more simply, when when the song changes to something that's like a, like easily catchable, like, okay. Okay. like that right and yeah. then like it's so you sort of like get dancing a bit faster yeah. than so something clapped on the two and the four right? <laughs> yeah okay so, yeah. so how how long have you guys been been a band together and how long have you guys been uh, doing live performances hmm. uh, you guys started earlier yeah I, I think we started in uh, I was towards the end of my first year in uni um then Dave, David, our bassist, is one year older than me. Mm-hmm. And Gerald, the drummer, is one year younger than me. So uh, I think it was just like that that transition window. I was going into my second year. And then Gerald was coming in as a freshman. And David was like one year my senior. Mm-hmm. So the three of us somehow just like met during freshman orientation. When, where the magic happens okay yeah so we just <laughs> yeah. became we just became friends and uh, everyone was staying in Yusuf except me what is Yusuf? Yusuf Hall <laughs> so it's a it's it's, it's basically one of, one of the dorms <laughs> one of the dorms in, in NUS well, that was like a cool meeting spot or something <laughs> yeah we we <laughs> 
everyone is staying in you. Who are you in tonight? Uh, I mean, you so. <laughs> yeah, it's awkward. <laughs> Yeah. Yusuf Hall. Yeah. And uh so in in Hall there would be all these different hall bands. Yeah. And so we were just one of the hall bands. Yep. Uh what is a hall band? So each each hall of residence, um, they usually just form bands within within the, the, the dorm. Yep. Yep. And uh there is some kind of like a band CCA. Sure. And so everyone just comes together to jam, do our own little gigs. Yep. Uh yeah and and so take two oh, that's what we were called back then was just one of the bands yep. in Yusuf Hall, uh but we the chemistry was really good we stuck we stuck with each other we played uh for many years actually not not like many years but like for for most the the duration of uni we were together we didn't disband or anything yep. so after a while like people just know us as like oh it's, oh yeah this band from Yusuf Hall on. Yeah, and towards our final one of our towards the final year in 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 NUS, we moved to Kenridge Hall. Okay. Yeah. So we, so it, yeah, <laughs> it, we moved to another hall yeah. as a band. Okay. Is that common? No. In fact, in fact, it was like a bit contentious because we become like inverted common traitors. Oh, also, it's like a house thing yeah. where you're competing or some yes, sort. They switch sigils basically. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's kind of blasphemous. Actually, why did you all move there? Wow, on record. Okay, la, okay. La. I mean, <laughs> even though this is like 10 plus years ago, but um, Yusuf, traditionally, people always saw them as a sports hall. So all the, the, the like when they have faculty games, they have people represent, they have like inter-university games, all the sports sports people came from Yusuf. Yusuf, okay. Yeah, so they had like, they're really strong in athletics, yep. ball games, everyone. So it's like this band, we have zero interest in sports. And uh so we 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 sometimes also felt like we wanted to mix with like a more artsy crowd. <laughs> you know? This is like a this is like a backhand at all. Like, no, nah, it's not it's not like you so how people like not artsy, but yeah, yeah. sometimes musicians you just want to hang out with other musicians or yep. so. Uh. Yep. Uh, and so Kenridge Hall is actually sort of like the opposite. For our during our time, mm, mm. Cambridge was like all the music people, arts people, dancers—they were all yep. there. Yep. And so we thought, like, okay, lah, one of our five since like final year in NUS already, you just like go over to Cambridge for like for like the last few semesters. Uh, so that's what we did. Also, we just move over to Cambridge, and I mean, also partly during that period of time, uh, the previous singer, the. Uh, and John, which is the other gu- the guitarist that left, yep. was also from Ken- from Kenridge Hall. Mm. So, so kind of when you guys went over, there was like a a fuller picture. Yeah. Every- okay. Correct. Okay. Instead of them coming to Yusuf to jam with us all the time, because yeah, why would they do that? Because they're already from that. Yeah. More, the 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 better hall. The artsier <laughs> hall. Yeah, I don't want to offend uh, my hallmates. Was so- was John the band leader at the time? John was the band leader for Kenridge. Right. For the right. Kenridge, like, for the, what we call the KR band. Right, right. Chairman, okay. chairperson. Right. Yeah. So he had access to the room. Yes, he had access to the that jamming the studio. What, what significance is him having access to that room? Oh, he can open the, the jamming studio for us at any time. He had the keys to the jamming studio. So you got privileged access. Uh? 
Yeah, we can basically just jam and do whatever we want inside. That's, that's one of the more awesome things about uh, university jam bands, mm-hmm. or especially NUS, where they have this sort of like um, band culture in yep. their halls, yep. where it's basically like a, uh, what do you call it? Music or band forming accelerator, or it's like nice incubator, yeah. because you have access to these like pretty well-equipped studios. Mm-hmm. They got drums, they got guitar amps, everything. And... You live by yourself amongst all these young people. Yep. Right? There's no one really policing what you do over there. Something is to birth fall from this yeah, particular yeah, melting pot. Exactly. Lah. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. what it was. Yeah. So, uh, Peng Seng, you mentioned about uh, just because of sheer consistency that you guys played together that uh, people started knowing you guys. Mm. Uh, would you care to say that when you were going through that phase, were there a lot of, I guess, bands that had a lot of potential that just didn't stay together because... Is, is this mixing culture and leaving and going joining a new band, is it very common in, 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 in the band, in the music scene? Yeah, yeah, I would say um, it's it's quite important because and not just as like as this new entity, you need to be around long enough for people to re- actually remember who you are, right? Mm-hmm. But within a band also, as you write and you perform and you and you you go through this period, everything together. Everyone like learns about each other. The chemistry gets better, and in cert- in some cases, we learn to delegate certain kinds of work to certain people because we know like that's what the, oh that's what this guy is good at, mm. and like this 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 kind of stuff oh dude I cannot do, mm. but um my bandmate can handle it, yeah. So it becomes like a pretty solid unit, and uh, I would say that's one of the reasons why we um. Because we stuck together and we we really like figured each other out. Yeah. And we were we, as a unit. We were able to to last longer in in a space where usually people come and go a lot. Yeah. You know, sometimes the band they form a new band, they do a, a few gigs together. They don't even get to the point where they release their first EP or album. They disband already. Yeah, a lot of this kind of situations. Yeah. Is is the first EP like the uh, the milestone of? A band? What is an EP? Is it like a collection of songs? Yeah, oh. Layman speaking. It's like a legacy format. So back in the day when it was vinyl, right? Yeah. So um, basically it's whether it's the big vinyl or the small, <laughs> the small vinyl. Yeah. Right? So the big vinyls uh, were called LPs, long plays. Yep. So those were like the full album formats. And like 20, uh, 12 songs or something? Yeah. 10 to 12. 10 to 12? Right. 10 to 12 songs. About yeah. five per side kind of thing. Yeah. And then um, the smaller ones were called extended plays. So they were like a collection of four or five songs, four or five, six songs. Uh, extended plays were usually used as promotional materials mm. to get people interested in the long play that was coming out. Okay. Yeah. So it was just like a legacy format that stuck as music progressed, yep. even though CDs came along and even yep. right now with... Uh, Streaming. Yeah. <laughs> where it doesn't really matter anymore <laughs> what uh, format you put it out. You can pretty much do... Anything. Yeah. <laughs> so streaming kind of fucked fuck the whole format up. La. Yeah, disrupted. It disrupted it. Yeah. But also, there are some aspects of... Correct. That o- The older formats that persist. Mm. What do you mean? So basically, yeah, like I said, there's no re- there's absolutely no reason for people to stick to the format of like a, an album, right? But people are still, still putting out albums. Mm. Yeah. It's a body of work thing. Yeah. Okay. You know, like... um. As with any 
it's like writing a book la, versus releasing something chapter by chapter. Yep. yep. Right? You want it. Ooh, if you I love the analogy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a, a narrative threat to this collection of work that you have that you want to put together yep. and be appreciated as something like that, then you release it together. Yeah. If not, if it's just like, you know, loose pages loose pages then you yeah. can release it that way so there's nothing wrong with that that's yeah. totally fine it's like academia you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah how is it like academia so like a researcher or might might have a uh, some kind of like a big research idea to explore mm. this this new subfield in uh okay, I'm social science guy right so like let's say uh, a particular subfield in underground culture yep right so um a lot of times in order to fully explore and flesh out what are like the the kinds of theoretical frameworks like just w- a single paper is not enough mm. you need to write it like through a, ver- a full like phd dissertation and then the, the it basically becomes a monograph or a book okay a book with like eight to ten chapters yep. but of course it's very difficult to get a book deal right from the start so they will usually pick one or two chapters that have like very strong theoretical uh, value. Mm. They publish them as papers in spe- in specific journals and then they take the publications to a publisher and say, look, I have published like this this, this set of, of papers. Yep. Give me the book deal because so that I can write the entire story out. Mm. Yeah. So this is how they do it in academia? This is one of the ways they do it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But back to your point about it being a sort of like milestone, releasing an an EP. I would say yes. Yeah. Um, like Ping said before, like some bands don't even make it to that stage. Mm. You know where they can be writing stuff or they play a few gigs and then it just doesn't work out. Whether it's through like clash of personalities, the vibe isn't right, mm. or you know commitment issues to being in a band. Um. So putting out a body of work, whether it's an EP or an LP. It's sort of like a, 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 an act of defiance, I would say. So it's sort of like push through all these obstacles. That yeah. More often than not, actually, I think it happens more often than bands staying together. There are like so many local bands. I mean, let's say even in just the context of Singapore, not say the world, right? Yep. That are so short-lived, you know, or they like make a nice little splash and then nothing happens after that. You don't really hear from them after that anymore. Mm. So putting out a piece of work is like, yeah, I would say sort of like... But that is really just the first step, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly, right? Right? Exactly. Yeah. Like for, for us even, like we only put out like two EPs and like we've been together for how long only, you know, and it still feels like, oh man, like quite a monumental, I wouldn't say it's an achievement, but like they weren't easy yeah, putting out those that, that body of work and yep. like the creative process and everything. Yep. But then at the same time, yeah, we look back on it and it's like, oh wait, that's all we've done. You know, there's so much yeah. more that we we need to do. You know, mm-hmm. in terms of if you look at it mathematically, a number of years that we've been together since like what, like 2013. 2013 so is about seven years. We're like a seven year old band. Sounds very like wow, veteran, yeah, right? Yeah. But like looking at it, if you measure it in terms of body of work, we only got like two EPs out which is like nothing. That is nothing. 10-ish songs. Ugh, yeah. Yeah. Um, if, in terms of the productivity of, I don't know. And it, we haven't even done a full length yet. Yeah. Which so that's the LP on. where you were talking yes, about. Yes, correct. Now, right? mm, okay. Yeah. So some bands, they even like, you know, within average is like two to three years 
per LP. Yep. So technically, if you're following that sort of <laughs> timeline, that time frame, we're supposed to have yeah. put out two full lengths already, but we haven't. What yeah. What do you think is stopping you guys from doing that? Is it like a commitment thing? Because I know uh, Peng Seng is working full-time mm-hmm. in yeah. the department. You mentioned you were from NLB. Mm-hmm. Is it like a... Is sure, that the reason that it's just not feasible? It, I don't think it's commitment because we are all still committed to playing yep. music. But it's just a function of being uh, maybe we, we just have day jobs yep. and sometimes after work <laughs> you're just too tired yeah. To, yep. to do all that stuff. Yep. And uh and then on like the music business side of things as well, if you really are very serious about pursuing a band like three that with like three or four people doing it semi pro, the band needs to be making a certain amount of money. Yes. Every month. Yep. First, right? Uh and so until you get to the point, uh there are many other there are a lot of other factors that are not really within your control. So you can say that that could be that could be a little bit of a fatalistic or realistic way of of thinking about the issue, mm. um, and I think actually, I don't know, what what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> you just throw the ball straight. Yes, yeah, <laughs> you're not prepared. Suddenly, <laughs> suddenly curveball. It's like you're doing presentation, and then and now my uh, <laughs> yeah. <want> time to- <laughs> your friend digging a nose. <laughs> <laughs> Commitment thing about being in a band. Um, actually, we, we suck lah. Well, we always know inspiration. <laughs> I think it, it's a combination of a few things. Maybe it differs from band to band. Yeah. Um, and I think why we are so slow is also because we sort of like always battle with whether the stuff we make is good enough. Gotcha. So there's a lot of uh, self-doubt and self-censorship that goes on mm. before we eventually get over ourselves mm. and like just go like, ah, fuck it. Just, that's it. Let's just put this out. This, yep. is a, this is called a song. Yep. So actually we have a lot of half-written shit that's yeah, just like, on the shelves in hard drives rotting away or even just like half-big ideas that are a few seconds long. And that is, we just go like, oh no, I'm not feeling it. And then we shelve it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it is more of um, sort of <laughs> having a process where you finish more songs than you have unfinished songs. Yep. And yep. I feel like it's easier said than done. Maybe as a solo artist, it's a bit easier because you the impetus is all with you. Mm. And um, you can just sort of like, it's harder, in a, it's easier in a sense that you one person you don't have to coordinate with other people to finish the song yep mm. but it's also harder in the sense that because you're alone it's harder to all the creative direction all rests on your shoulders burden really yeah it's quite a burden whereas sometimes I mean you guys you guys work in a team right yes. CIC sometimes yep. it's it's very helpful to have other people to bounce ideas off yep. right and if you're stuck on a certain project and you're like oh, I can't look at this shit anymore yeah, yeah. Like, you know hey, can you yeah. take a look can you me take a look at this <laughs> like, what do you think I should do that is very common <laughs> or like ask Lydia right? yeah, right? yeah. yeah so with, with being in a band it's like that but at the same time to put in the analogy of how you guys work maybe everyone else has their own project thing going on which for yeah. us would be our day jobs or whatever it is that is going on in our own lives 
um, whether it's relationships as well. Um, so sometimes when that gets in the way, the time passes by very fast. Yeah, naturally. Fast, faster than you even realize, yep. right? Um, you could be like, okay, um, let's let's put this song on the shelf for a while and we'll come back to it. Mm. And then a couple of weeks will pass by. And then three weeks pass by. And sometimes we're like, hey guys, you know, why don't we meet, you know, to go and practice this? Or someone else would like, you know, bring it up, bring up the subject again. Yep. So we all <laughs> take turns being like the cheerleader. Gotcha. gotcha. You know, of like, you know, hey guys, you know, like, you know, and, and it all depends also on like our mental states at the time. Yep. Yeah. Right. Some people might be really swamped with other things. Other people might be a bit more free during that time. So it's really like trying to get everyone in sync. Yep. Like vibe wise, mentally, emotionally as well to, to sort of be, uh, in a headspace where you can be creative together. Mm. Yeah. And but, I don't know why, but that, that seems to take a lot of time. Well, that's yeah. a pretty tall order right. because you, I, I think same thing with TYC. Um, it's four different individuals trying to, trying to come together for like one singular funnel mm. because it's four different individuals ultimately. Yep. It's not four identical individuals. It's mm. four different. Mm. I think the difference is where the, the, the magic happens, first of all. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. uh, I guess four different individuals being on the same wavelength, yeah, I think there has to be some com uh, common understanding because yeah. to, to pushing things out. Yeah. yeah. Did, did it take uh, a while for you guys to get to this rhythm or to even be aware of something like this that uh, we all have to be on the same page? Because I would imagine as musicians, I think the the notion I keep hearing or keep uh, reading online is like they have big egos, they have their own artistic visions, they want to accomplish, they all take turns to lead a different music. How does it work? Because I know that you guys have different roles in the band. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how would that uh, play together and sing? Because it would be kind of weird if uh, you guys have always released this kind of music and the next EP is just vocals. Oh. There, there's no drums. Okay, maybe there's <laughs> yeah. drums, but there's no uh, bass and no guitar. Yeah. So how would it work for you guys to, I guess the word is compromise and to make sure that the vision of, uh, I guess, Mao life still stays true. Yeah. Uh, actually, we're still figuring this out, man. Okay. I feel like it's a constant learning process mm. and um, you go through different phases in how you want to work this out yep. together as a band. Um, I guess thinking back when we first started, uh, all the way back in the, the jamming halls in NUS, <laughs> it was just a lot of sitting around in the room yeah. Everyone just... Just hanging out. Hanging out, noodling on their own instruments. Yeah. So everyone's playing their own thing. <laughs> so the singer like, is just humming. Oh, is the singer just sitting there <laughs> waiting for everyone else to figure it out? No, Gerald will be sitting at his drum and, uh, at the drum kit and he's just scrolling yeah, Facebook. Yeah, he'll be scrolling memes on <laughs> Facebook. He'll be singing at his phone. Okay. And... Uh, yeah, it, Not what I had in mind when I picture you guys uh, practicing, but okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, as in, on one hand, you can view it as like, that's a lot of time wasted. Mm. On the other hand, you can also see it as like, that's part of the process, Okay, I feel, where you like you spend 80% of the time just like fucking around and not really doing anything. But it's, that, it's building up to that last 20% where you actually get something and like you sort of like everyone's like meandering around on their own paths. Yep. Right. And then somehow we all just end up at one meeting point. And somehow. Then, and then we go, maybe go just <laughs> diverge again, we deviate and then we come back again. Okay. Yeah. So if you want to look at it like in a linear way, that's, that's mm. sort of how it felt. 
and then then I think over the years as we started working um, we different uh, we, we started getting involved in different kinds of like music projects whether it's uh, music music or it's actually more music business side right okay uh, then I think we just find ways to to make the the the, the meandering process a bit more directed <laughs> yeah uh, so a big part of that was how uh, like I think probably from the f- after the Mouth Life EP mm. then somehow I think David and Paddy both of y'all just started becoming more towards like the recording and the production y'all started getting more gear the audio interfaces and you know would start, would, would start leaning in that direction and so they would they would start building creating a bit more structure around the writing process and then they would they, they would like delegate or break the work up into break into into smaller uh chunks yep. that the rest everyone in the band can be assigned to work on yeah is, so this, I, is this manifested in like a in like a slack board like a trello board Oh. <laughs> we started doing Trello. Just yeah, we started doing Trello. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you guys use Trello? As yes, well? we do. <laughs> I'm just very curious because um, music making is one of those things where, uh, it seems very it, it is it seems very mystical. Mm. Yeah, there's still a bit of mystery behind it because uh, different people have, have have different methods. Um, yeah, I'm just particularly curious as to how yeah you guys streamline. Yeah, it's very nebulous, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, correct. Because they like, just pull from sounds thing, yeah. in themselves, like sort of like. You can't really see it. It's like airwaves passing through. Yeah. Um, but I think we sort of like, yeah, I guess to like emphasize Pink's point, when we started getting into like using our own, um, having a, like a recording setup at home, right? And starting, starting to get more involved in the production process ourselves. Because um, previously before that, we didn't, first EP, we didn't have any of this. Yeah. We just production? Did, yeah, no, mm. we did all production in the studio. And all writing was just like recorded through iPhones. What? Yeah, as in when we had an idea. Yeah. So we would demo it. We would just like put an iPhone in the middle of the room and jam it out. Yeah. Mm. After already having figured out the parts. Like, yeah. Okay, well, you play this, I'll play this, doing that. Uh, the drums go like this. Yep. And then, so it was very like, damn anyhow. Then when we started work on the second EP, uh, that's when we dabbled a little bit in like using digital audio workstations yep. to sort of like capture the ideas a bit more accurately. Um, but we were total noobs at it like, at the time. Didn't really know what <laughs> yeah, we were doing. Everything sounded like shit. Everything sounded like shit. It was okay. damn bad. So we still worked with like a producer. We still booked studio time to yep. record it properly and everything. Um, then from that one, I think that's why we also ended up taking so long to release the new stuff. Because we sort of like hit like a a speed bump or a point in time where we needed to, um, you know, sometimes like when you when you have an idea mm. that's like of a certain level, yep, but your technical level is execution. Yeah, execution can yep. only hit like thirty or fifty percent yep. of that hundred percent that you're trying yep. to achieve. So you need to take time to build up your skills so that your execution can match what it is that's in your head. Yep. Yeah. Agree. So that, that really took us a while and mm. um and and in that process also it can be quite discouraging. Cause mm, like you'd yeah. be like, ah oh, fuck, this sounds like shit. 
I don't know, I'm not doing it right. Fuck this. I'm just not going to look at it for a couple of months kind of yep, thing. Yep. And before you know it, that's two months down the drain. But do you like, guys have an external party? Um, approving is not the word, but looking at the stuff you guys create because I don't know if you guys suffer from this, but um, if you guys stare at something for too long, you guys are neck deep in it. You mm. guys are too close to it. You guys can't see uh, mm. like a more macro view. Mm-hmm. Is, is there someone that plays that particular role that tells you, hey, this is actually good. Do you want to work with this? Um... Recently, we've well, we've always worked with a producer. I mm. guess that's the producer's role. That's the role. producer's role. Yeah. Okay. Pretty much as like someone coming in from the outside who is not as emotionally invested in the whole process as you. Yep. And a bit more objective. So that's important. When listening to it, yeah. I mean, some some people and some bands can self-produce um, where yeah. they really just like detach themselves from it. I don't know what their process is, uh, but it works for them. <laughs> It works for them. Yeah, some people it doesn't. Um, is 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 that some uh a certain level you're trying to get to? In terms of uh producing, being objective, being able to take take a step back and look at the, the overarching yeah, theme or concept yeah. uh, for a particular thing. I suppose every artist mm. would kind of want to reach that stage where they are able to do it. Okay. Um, cause. Okay, I mean this might sound a bit like money minded, but number one, it costs money to hire producers. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Right. Um. As with any other people you're working on the production with. So if you can kind of save costs by being your own producer, mm. that would be great. Yep. Um, of good quality. La. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but whether the art suffers because of that is a different thing altogether. Mm. So it's like what you value more. Yep. You want the work to be good, then you sometimes you got to pay for it. Yep. Yeah. Otherwise... It, you pay for it in other ways. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, the other the other way to approach it also is to sometimes you work with a producer because you want it to sound like something else. Mm, true, true. What, yeah. what do you mean by that? So, uh, I mean, like, for example, um, one would expect, like, you know, a band, very standard, kind of like band setup, two guitars, bass, drums. That's right? a standard setup? Like, I, I don't know. Common. Okay. Fairly, fairly common. Um, and people would expect the band to sound like yeah you know guitars sound like guitars the strumming chord is a bit of like distortion or overdrive then the drums and the bass sound a certain way but if you take the music and you go to a person that a, a producer that works primarily within electronic music like EDM mm. so the way he processes those sounds uh, both in his head and like physically through a, th- his workflow on the on on and whatever software that he's using is going to change the sound of the the album mm. yeah so for example if you work with like a very traditional kind of like band producer he would be very interested in getting like a solid take like don't want don't don't not too much auto tune don't grid the stuff onto like the metronome to mm. to, to, to until it's too fixed let it make make it a little bit like flowy and sometimes you know the drums will push and pull a bit stuff like that but then if you if you go to a a very like EDM or very electronic based producer the the foundation might actually be a beat that was made through on the on the door yep first and so everything is already gridded right from the beginning already yeah so then the sound of it would be different la. but mm. with with needing a producer for let's say to, to to push a track out wouldn't that mean that the 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 concept and the the sound of the band kind of ebbs and flows to whoever you're working with 
unless you take this producer role back into the band mm-hmm. where you have a, a, a full mind of what you want to produce. I suppose for us, the way we view it is um, we work with producers also as a form of collaboration. Okay. Yeah, not so much like sort of like giving him the reins to... You stand over his shoulder and take over everything. (laughs) It's kind of like a bit of back and forth. Like, okay. So for all the producers that we worked with, the first one we worked with Roland. Um, Second one we worked with uh, Evan, Adventure Time. uh, Evan Lowe. And then currently we're working with uh, this producer called Yo. Okay. From Australia. So for for us, how we've always approached it is we would already have had the song up to like 80, 90%. This is bits and bobs? Of uh, collection. uh, Meaning the the song is 80, 90% complete. Oh yeah. Okay. Um. So that way, the 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 form is there, the arrangement is there, the ideas that we're trying to do have been articulated to the maximum of our ability okay. to do so. Okay. Sort of like if you do a draft and but it's like almost the finished thing. Okay. Kind of thing. Um. But then we know that there's this twenty to ten percent more that we cannot hit. You know that that when we listen to it, we're like, ah, oh, fuck, it's not there yet. It okay. needs a bit more. Okay, okay. So that's when we, that's how we work when we do it with a producer. But then we hit the guy up. Hey man, we got this song or this collection of songs. Do you want to help us? Do you want to work with us with it? Co-produce it. Yep. We usually call it co-producing. Yeah. Because basically we were with, what we were already doing is also part of the production. Mm. Um, but we didn't just need like sort of like extra help to polish it up and help us like, uh, I can give an example. Like the recent song that we released, Small Lanes. Mm-hmm. So that one was, we were stuck on that song for quite a while. We, the, the very first draft I remember was in like 2018. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 2018. <laughs> the pre, pre-crisis. Late 2018. Um, so the music was there. We had, so I had an idea. Huh? When we went to Malaysia, is it the one? Uh, I don't think so. No, no, no. Before Plantation. Also, even before the our, our trip, Wow. Yeah. That one was in Dave's house, I remember. So it was written back then? Or was it sort of produced back then? The seeds for the song were planted back then. What do you mean seeds for a song? Okay, Someone said a, a beat, a chord progression, yeah. like a, a guitar riff. Yeah. Okay. Remember I was telling you about the whole hard drive full of like song ideas yep. unfinished? So yeah, it's basically that. Okay. That kind of thing. That's how they're all birthed. Mm. Um, it was like the same thing that we were playing around with. Yep. The yeah. That was the one. Yeah. And then it was just like, you know, uh, some chords. Yeah. A little bit of vocal sound. Okay, okay, okay. I, remember, I remember already. I remember already. Yeah. So 2018. Yep. Okay. And then th- that process I was telling you about, about the frustration of it and shelving it, that yep. constant like circular thing that you go through that yep. cycle. Yep. And then you build it sort of like bit by bit through those cycles of like listening back to it adding stuff on hating it putting it aside coming back to it a while later um, then it was around 2019 uh, middle of 2019 July August kind of thing that's when we decided like fuck guys we haven't we've been doing jack shit for the <laughs> first couple of years our last album was out in 2017 it's now 2019 we need to get new songs out so, and then we decided that that song, Small Lanes, was going to be the one because it was one of the more completed ones. Did you put it up to a vote or was it you just throw dice? Fairly unan- it was fairly unanimous. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, then from there, then we decided to work with Yo. Uh, and then we brought the song to him. Mm-hmm. 
he took a listen and he did some things to it, tweaked certain things here and there um, to sort of like clean it up so that we can hear what it is that we're trying to say and what we're trying to do with the song a bit better. It's sort of like someone took your 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 your, your stencil work or your pencil work or something mm. and clean up the lines, sort of like committed certain things to it, like using ink over some of your pencil yep. works sort of thing. So then you look at it in a pseudo fresh way. Bing Sing was talking about light motifs just now and the concept of the the pieces where a producer would to come in and to clean up and to make it clearer so so it doesn't yeah. seem too jarring. Is is that what it is? Yeah, yep. pretty much. Pretty much. Okay. How um, how how would you explain light motifs to someone who is a layman just listening to music? Is that like a concept like an artist would try to convey to the listener? Um, I think, okay, so music can be quite subjective because people, different people hear different things when they listen to the stuff, right? Yep. Yeah, but I think for, for most of us, sometimes at a particular section of a song, uh, there is one main melodic idea that that stands out uh, it can be a, a vocal line. Sometimes you call it a top line as well. Top line, okay. Because it's the it's all the way at the at the top. It sits the, on top so of the music. It sits it sits on top of the harmony, the melody, and the beats, everything. So okay. it's a top line. Sometimes it can be a chord progression. Okay. And so, or sometimes it can be like a very cool beat, like a drum, a mm. drum, a rhythmic idea. Yep. So for a particular section of the song, anyway, you you just have to figure out like. Uh, if if we decide, like for example, a particular melody is going to be the the dominant melody, so you 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 start taking away certain parts. For for us, more often than not, it's actually taking stuff out, because when we jam, we just keep adding layers and layers and layers and layers, and there's like, like ten guitar lines happening at the same time. Kind of whether if it's audible or inaudible. Yeah, it oh, might, okay, it might okay. just. I mean, in the mix, then it becomes very messy. You can't okay. really hear what's going on. It's just like a wall of sound. Yep. And so sometimes the producer comes in. He's just like, okay, like this. I hear this when I listen to this particular section. Uh, so I'm going to start taking certain things out, or I'm gonna change the mix, tweak the mix in a in a particular way so that all the other parts, the harmony, the the rhythms. Uh, they they help to bring out that that main melodic idea better. Melodic idea, mm, okay. Yeah. So it's if it is an EP, this melodic idea will be transferred to all the songs. Does it work like that for for mm. music? I guess it's per song. It's like oh, what it's are, per what song. Are, what are you trying to say with this song? Yep. What's the main idea? What yeah. is the feeling that you're trying to convey? What's the vibe? Right. Uh, so sort of what like, is the small lanes <laughs> idea you <laughs> can explain later pretty much um, but yeah so you do that with every song mm. and maybe with a producer if you have like really like a whole narrative or like body of work he can sort of like take a macro view of it and go like okay maybe we should commit to having things sound this way so that everything is cohesive as a body of work mm. that kind of thing yeah but for small lanes, the process was um, we passed that uh, that demo to him. He cleaned it up. Um, and then from there, you sort of like look at it with a fresh set of ears. And you hear things that, oh, maybe I should do this instead. Or I want to add this idea in. Or I didn't like the idea in the first place. Let's change it. So it, it helped us to sort of commit to changes and commit to 
finalizing things in a song. Was it difficult? <laughs> when you do it on your own, it's difficult. But then when there's someone else there to sort of like, sometimes you need the external validation. You know what I mean? So you yeah. just need someone to tell you that it's cool, man. I like the way it sounds. Then you go, okay, I guess, <laughs> I guess it's fine. Because that way, if you do it yourself, you never finish it. You will never think it's finished. Is it like a perfection thing? Um, I yeah, definitely. There's there's times there's, four in a band. <laughs> correct, yeah. right? Or yeah, I I'm I don't know if it's the same for you guys when you guys um, do like your your. Group I think that's it for, for like a commercial artist. I, th- I think it really depends if there's a client breathing down your neck. Mm. Yeah, because I don't know if it's the same for music. Like, is 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 that where uh, a label comes in and say, hey, you guys have this deadline, you guys have to push something out? Yeah. yeah. Because I would imagine if there is no such presence and because it's it's a craft, ultimately, you want to, and you guys want to put out good work and you guys want to fiddle with it, you guys want to re-record, you guys want like, tons of different things. So mm-hmm. something like that would never get done. Yeah. So I think my question would be, uh, what is the what is the label's role in the music uh, production process right we were, we, were, topic. <laughs> we were actually talking about this before the the briefly before the, the we started recording for the podcast but yeah let me to pivot over to the role of the label and as as we've shared so far the the ideation and the craft and um, us being independents, right? So we don't have that kind of like nobody's PL depends on whether we get the product profit out on time, loss. right? Okay. Yeah, profit and loss. There's no, there's no, but like kind of like bottom line as lo- and mm. we're, the money's coming from our own pockets. Mm. Yeah. So sometimes having a label, uh, the, the label's role um, can be as simple as just basic music distribution music distribution yeah so take uh taking the finished recordings and then um clearing the necessary licensing and distribution rights to upload it onto digital streaming platforms mm. it's like the most basic function of the label yep just distribution and uh the label can come in to say like okay you have this body of work um this is these are some dates that you can consider you're releasing the stuff and then once you decide on the dates you figure out what the deadlines are what are the different milestones leading up to, on, yeah. to the release so then now there's a bit there's there's like a kind of like a project timeline or a structure around the music that you're putting out and that that helped us a lot okay yeah and uh i guess in a in a way because for for us the band the label is also one of the band members in the yep. comma la, so to speak. <laughs> uh, so then it, it's not in the commas. It's literally, it, it literally, yeah. <laughs> it literally is, yeah. Um. So we just, I just become like the person that's just like, okay, guys, we need to get the stuff out by this time, yep. and, and and just chase the project manager. Uh, yeah, chase for the deadlines, law. Mm. And I, I guess to a certain point, I just be like, okay, la, I mean, it has it's more or less there yeah. of course there's no such thing as absolute perfection mm. so uh, to get the stuff out by this time let's let's just go with it sometimes sometimes you can be like there's a big show we're playing we want to have the music out in time yeah prior to, to that to yeah. debut and yeah. perform the song at the show so yeah there are these constraints and the label will come in like yeah guys let's let's do this this is strategic or sometimes it can be like 
the label has certain opportunities uh, that, that, that they want to push the particular artist for. And so sometimes these opportunities are time sensitive. Like it's, mm. it's like a particular promo. Yep. Uh, you're pushing for a particular feature that's coming out on some music blog or magazine, yep, new yep. things like that. Yep. Time sensitive. So yeah, the label will just come in like, okay, guys, we need to get this done like by now. You know, you you guys have been working on this for a long time, but let's just like wrap it up and and get 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 it over and done with. Yeah. So Peng Sing, the last time we were talking about uh, you had this mystery label. So safe to say the label has debuted. Yeah. What is it called? We are called Where Are the Fruits, and. You, you, you have to explain to me a little bit. So, um, you mentioned that Mao Life is independent. But is it signed to a label? Can you have both of them? Because if, if, if I'm thinking about an independent band, mm. it's no ties to any uh, distribution companies, no ties to any overarching label. So, what does that mean for the music scene? Um, I th- Okay, I think, firstly, when people say, like, oh, these guys are indies, mm. they are an indep- independent band, uh, the the term they use is like independently managed. Ah, oh. yeah. Uh, however, because of the 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 way the music industry is and uh how most of the digital platforms like Spotify and Apple Music they actually don't accept your music directly. You have to go through a distributor or some kind of licensing agent to clear the rights, etc., etc., etc. So it's super difficult to do something on your own purely. In, as an independent I mean the, there are some platforms where you can upload directly such as Bandcamp gotcha so uh, you, I think some of the the more like very purist indie bands yep. they only have distro on Bandcamp okay stuff like that yep. yeah but otherwise yeah it just means you're independently managed uh, nobody is breathing down your neck for particular kind of like release deadlines yep yep uh, you're not being funded by anyone in particular and um, you just work with your you assemble your own partner your, your own team of partners and people that will support you in, in your music does this count as the producer as well because if it's a label mm. the, the label will assign you a different producer to produce a certain thing does yes. it work like that okay yeah or sometimes the artist would go I want to work with this producer yep and the label will be like, okay, since our budget for your upcoming album is like X dollars, let's see, let's let's work that out. Yep, yeah, yep. things like that. Was it a conscious decision for the band to be independent? And how did let's say if it's a if it's a yes or no, how did that translate to you wanting to create a label on your own? Um I, I can talk about the label, how I started doing this first. Yeah. Uh I think initially we we had our very first producer, he distributed the music for us. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think largely speaking, wasn't too, didn't do too badly. The yep. stuff was delivered onto the platforms yep. uh, without any major hiccups. Um, but there were just like little things that we wanted to have more control over such as the promotion such as release dates and also um, we, we wanted to have a bit more control over the, the finances the money mm. and the royalties that were being earned and that's why uh, it got to a, a point where we felt like maybe it's better to distribute and take our music back into our own hands yep 
So I started uh, reading up, doing a bit of research on how we can release our own music. Uh, started talking to different distribution partners. And then I uh, met The Orchard. The what? Uh, the Orchard. So like, they, are know, like a, they are the like a, it's a, it's a company. The fruits from. Yeah, yeah. I was yeah. like, what? What are you talking about? Actually, yes. Is that artist's name? So yeah, there is actually a distribution company called The Orchard. They are owned by Sony, actually. Is it like a smaller arm? Uh, I won't say it's a smaller they arm. They existed but it's before, like the, right? Yeah, they, they existed way before uh the whole Sony thing came about. I think but like wow. think two or three years ago, Sony bought the entire company over. That's big shit, right? Yeah. 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 So in a way, the Orchard became like the, an independent music licensing distributor yep. arm. Yeah. Yep. So I met the guys from the Orchard. They gave they uh and back then I also I was also very involved with uh Escape Invasion. Okay. Yeah. So Escape Invasion had a lot of shows and uh I was trying to find ways to 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 distribute the music, right? So I basically put these two things together and back then uh Invasion, which was run by Inch and Hyder, mm, mm. they were very supportive of the idea. And so that's how the label started. To start a homegrown label, would yeah. you call it that? Okay. So the label would have a small roster of independent artists. Yep. And then Invasion, Skip Invasion was able to support with regular shows. Yep. With the campus shows, yep. the, the festivals during school holidays. So we built, we basically built our own ecosystem and that's yep. how the label started. Yep. But it was super low key back then. Back then was what? Like two Past years ago. Two years ago? Yeah. Okay. And uh, it wasn't until I really fully figured out how to run. A, I'm not. I'm not saying I, I know how to run a label, but humbles, <laughs> yeah. Like I've kind of like figure out the the basic necessities, uh, like how music licensing and all these different rights work. Yeah, and so now I like the start of the from from this year onwards. Then I I created a proper website. Now we have like our own social media profile, and like we gave it a proper name instead of it just being a a part of a, some another company that ev- that everyone knows for associates with something else. Can we expect more Pepper Pick stuff on your IG? Oh yeah, of course. On Mount Life la. On, on, <laughs> no, not on Where on, Are The Fruits. On Where Are The Fruits. The, <laughs> we, we represent a lot of other artists and uh, they might not be as into memes as the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. But this like homegrown label thing has, it's not really new, right? I mean, back like 20, 30 years ago, there were quite a few homegrown labels as well. Uh, wake me up music, yeah. Kitty Woo, yeah. Still around, still around. Kitty Woo still around. Riot Records. Mm, do they cater uh, to a specific? Do these labels cater to a specific sound? Yeah. Yeah, I would say. I would yes. say. And therefore, a specific market of yeah, people. Definitely. Okay. Um, t- typically, labels tend to operate that way, right? Like, yeah. They sort of have like a direction, like okay, we'll cater to this portion of the market. Yeah. Mm. Uh, people who consume this type of music. And they would that's sort of like their curatorial direction. Yeah. They will look out for bands and acts that sound this way because that's the kind of art that they vibe with the most yep. and they commit to supporting. Yeah. So I don't think I hear a lot of people uh, saying that they want to start a label when they grow up. I, I think I hear more people wanting to be like a musician, wanting to be a singer. Yeah. I don't hear a lot of people saying that I want to start a music label. <laughs> very, very rarely, although I do think some people have that that 
that kind of ambition though. Yep. Um yeah. Maybe maybe some people just want to be surrounded by music. Mm. And then starting a label is one of the ways they can do that. Mm. Yeah. So with with um with labels curate labels used to curate their, their selection of music and the selection of artists. So with the offset of things like Spotify, playlists, does the roles of a label have to change? Yeah, for sure. Labels now, I mean, it doesn't even it's such a strange um because because of streaming and how and and like the way royalties are collected and the way the business deals are, are done now, um labels actually function more like media agencies, if I'm making sense at all. And they basically are a concentration of like music business related networks. Music? Could you explain a little bit more? So um I think in in the past where music recording was a very capital intensive process, right? So you need to spend money to get the, the jamming studio to get the yes. equipment. Okay. So you needed a label with this all these like assets yep. and and enough capital to go up to an artist, sign them to a record deal, and then pump in all these yep. resources. And so the the way they make money back is through selling records. Yes. But now people don't sell records. Streaming royalties are starting to make a bit more money for people with big numbers. But um, the structure of the music business has changed to such a point where actually now a label is really just an aggregate of, of certain kinds of networks or connections. And of course, specific know-how, very technical, very niche know-how. Yeah. And so depending on the artist's needs, uh, the label just comes in and fill and, and answers those uh questions for artists so um and then you have the labels which tend to look after more the the recordings and stuff Mm. and you also have things that are coming out like artist management agencies and the management agencies just sort of like looking after the overall growth of the artist uh and then so labels sometimes end up functioning more like distributors because the artists would have their own management looking after the big picture yep. for them really. So yeah. I guess um, going back to Scape yeah. and I guess the, the artists that you have, uh, are they considered signed on to Where Are The Fruits? For some of the younger yeah. talents? So yeah, you, you, they, they have definitely signed onto something. Yeah. But the specific thing that we sign <laughs> is the master rights. What's The that? master recordings. Oh, what does that mean? So when you rec- when you have a when you have a song idea and then you go in the studio you record and the final product come out right it's like a must they call it the master recording, and so with the must when you when you secure the rights for the master you can create digital and mechanical reproductions of the master. Uh, so would that mean that let's say the twenty seventeen sample of the small lanes is that a master recording? There's actually this whole master thing is also like a very legacy thing okay because back then when you made music yep uh, the media that is stored on was physical media like right? hard disk like a, uh, no even disc. before hard disk like a tape okay right like a like a wheel was, <laughs> yeah it's like yeah. a reel of tape <laughs> or it's on a uh, master pressing gotcha so that that huge metal steel plate in which you press your vinyl onto so that was the master record so if you want to reproduce the music you would need to buy the rights to using that master 
And then there's also the publishing. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Publishing. Publishing, publishing is the music as a composition. Right? Yes. Am I saying it rightly? So, okay, the, there's master recording and publishing. Yeah. Uh, yes. yes. So, the master recording, okay, there's a few, it's like, they, they call them different licenses, right? Yeah. Master license, sync license, and am I getting it right? What's yeah, publishing, then publishing deals with, with like, uh, the, what we call the musical work. Mm-hmm. And then you, with publishing rights, you can also do what we call derivative products. Or so like making, uh, is it remix? Yeah. Does it count as that? So publishing rights are involved when a remix is done, when someone covers the music. So someone like, so the main original verb rendition of a song is like a rock song. Someone covers it and turns it into a Mendel pop ballad. Yep. Publishing rights yep. are involved. Yep. Because you need to grant the, the person the rights to make a derivative recording yep. mm. yeah so basically like the entire music industry right functions on like more or less these rights yeah and so as musicians we create the music yep the all these labels and publishers they come in they turn the music into IP yep. intellectual property and then they monetize the mm. IP would you use the word commodity yeah they turn it into a commodity okay You're, is, 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 is that something that kind of saddens you as a musician and as an artist? I mean, mm. that's the capitalist world that we live in, right? <laughs> yeah. No choice. It doesn't, it doesn't sadden me. It's just the way it is. No? Yeah. It is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> it is what it is. <laughs> eyes, lips, eyes. <laughs> is that the emoji? Yeah. <laughs> um... It, it, it really, I mean, if you want to be like super purist and like really like artist, artist about it, of course it's sad, right? Like, you know, this, you're, you're doing it from this very, um, like a craft point of view or like, you know, it's, it's it, creating something from nothing, something that you want to share with people. It, it's almost like a kind of like spiritual thing, right? Music somewhat. Yep. Um, like this idea that you, create this piece of art something from nothing yep mm. and the fact that you know all these guys in suits and in their offices or floral shirts uh. yeah. <laughs> in this case yeah, yeah exactly, yikes right? <laughs> and their glasses yeah <laughs> like they, they take it you know and they take it from you and they turn it into this product and mm. they market it and they only give you like a small percentage of it even though you created it out of thin air yep, yep. of course it sounds preposterous and like ridiculous and you would have every right to feel aggrieved. Mm. Um, but I, I I guess the music industry, as with most industries, is always changing. Mm. So at, at this point, I think, actually even right now, mm-hmm. would you say, Pengs, that the artist has more control and more power over the uh, their own music than yeah. ever before? Absolutely, 100%. Anyone who disagrees, I will debate you. <laughs> so it so used to be the label had a lot more control. Yeah, because cr- the, cr- the process of creating a music recording was a very capital intensive process. Mm. You needed to have like these large analog setups yep. and you need to have like the large machines that can record the tapes and then yep. you need to have the machines that can press the vinyl recordings. And the only way you have access to this is through with is to work with a, like a large record company so gatekeepers la. yeah but today 
the the recording devices and recording technology is like democratized already. Yep. You can have a studio in your bedroom. You can record everything. You can use samples for the different instruments. So you don't even need to actually be able to pay, play the instrument or yeah. hire someone to play it. You can just like trial and error, mm. figure it out. Yeah. So it's it becomes very easy to to produce the music in your bedroom and make and get it to a a pretty decent standard mm-hmm. and then put it out. Yeah. So now the challenge actually is because there's so much music now. You have to cut above you have to you have to uh ru- have to just tip of my tongue. What's the term? You just have to beat the noise, lah. Beat the noise. Yeah. Or have the luck. Have Do something you. incredibly lucky happen for you. Or oh, some I'm, meme. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? The topic. Yeah. I'm very curious as to uh, what kind of music that you guys consume. So uh, for Patty and for Pengs, you as uh, owner of a label, do you look out for different things as to when you consume personally? Oh, yeah, of course. So uh, whoever wants to go first. <laughs> you go first. Throwing <laughs> <laughs> something. My, I got another question for you on that as well. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> my, my own personal taste, I still like bad stuff. Are there a lot of band stuff these days? They seem to be still have popular. Still popular in in what sense? In like what's out on radio? Um, I I don't listen to radio, but I guess in terms, there are new bands. Mm -hmm. But if the algorithm doesn't really show you, how do you know that they exist? Right. Yeah. Uh, Unless you go to like the profile and you surf, but then you're you're kind of capped at how how much time you have for one. Yeah. Yeah. And if it's a new band, do you really want to really want to take the risk? There's there's mm. always that contention, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So but at the same so time, driven, yeah. at the same time, this is it, the way we consume music now is the most risk free way of consuming it. Yeah. Right. It basically costs nothing to click play, whereas in the past you had to dig through the crate, yeah, like for the vinyl and yep. be like, oh man, should I spend thirty forty dollars on yep. this record? Yeah. I don't even know if I would like it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. But I guess you kind of force yourself to like it. Now, like yeah. you, that's true. <laughs> Cognitive true. dissonance. Actually, it's not too bad. This record, <laughs> it's a pretty good song. Yeah, but I guess in 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 a sea of choice, I think for me personally, I would want, I would always want to go back to stuff I've heard before. Uh, I think there is some psychological thing to it because yeah. it, it, it's comforting. Yeah, it yeah, is. Like it is. I, I, me and my friends, we still find ourselves uh, listening to Blink One Eighty Two, even uh, though yeah, they've stopped yeah. producing music. The songs are quite simple mm-hmm. uh, music theory wise but there is a history with that yeah yeah, yeah. So, sorry Pings you were yeah, saying going back. what are we listening to oh my, yeah just just band stuff I guess so uh, that's a personal yeah I like stuff that's guitar driven uh, and in recent years I actually started also my, maybe partly because of the label uh, and and my my the friends that I hang out with the musicy friends I hang out with yeah we I, I really started listening out to songwriting more mm. so uh, I, I I know a lot of people don't like this term singer songwriters what's that's uh, a relatively normal it's, term it's it sounds relatively normal but actually really what is a singer songwriter right everyone is singer songwriter as long as you sing and as you write a song you, you can ghost write, write also yeah yeah true yeah well I mean like some kind of like a genre track la, mm. a, a, a genre type yeah singer songwriters I, I started getting into that also yeah and I mean as a label the stuff I look out for of course has to sound good uh, certain the way the the, the I think it's a lot more holistic you don't just purely look at the music mm. 
Yeah. Um, Appeal? The, the person needs to have like a message. The person needs to have something to say. Yeah. So, um, usually the artists that are the easiest to work with for, for in my in my opinion, maybe also because the the way I work, I come into the, into the picture as like a distributor more more often yep. than as like a manager. Gotcha. Right. Oh, so there is a difference there. There is a difference because the manager is of, often has like some kind of control over the artist's vision as well. Oh. Yeah. Gotcha. So the manager basically tries to like make the artist's vision come true yep. and stuff like that. But as a distributor, I'm usually not so invested in the, the vision. Mm. Not all the time. You leave it up to the artist. Yeah. yeah. And But we come in with experience. We come in sometimes as a friend. Mm. And uh, we're able to get them, put them in touch with the right kinds of networks yep. to, so that the music is heard. Yeah. Uh, so I like to work with people that or they come to me with some kind of a plan already. So people can just send you their track list la, and yeah. fingers crossed. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, versus someone who is, um, might need a lot of inverted comma hand-holding. Do you believe in grooming? Like young talent? What? Why do you, why you laugh? Yeah. Oh, no, no, it just sounded very funny, that term. Do you believe in grooming? <laughs> <laughs> I think it sounded like a sexual deviant. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't my thought but okay <laughs> no I a, li- a bit yeah I do but uh, once again it, it really depends there are so many other factors involved mm. uh, because it's not like we're running some kind of like big business or anything so a lot of times uh, the peop- the artists that I work with uh, we, we were friends first gotcha yeah or we can really get along yep like same frequency working yep. style, yeah. So I'm um, naturally with the with the band. There was a very like immediately when the the when the label was created. Actually, is to serve the the needs of the band first. That's when like all the oh. way two plus years ago when we first started. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's not a top down, but from a ground up. Yeah, yeah. Because the only thing before this conversation I know about labels is they always fuck over the artists, lah. That's, mm. that's all I know mm. yeah they always paint a very grim mm-hmm. picture because even though you do need them it, it's a symbiotic relationship you need them to to blast and to get you uh, I guess bigger gigs bigger mm-hmm. venues like a particular network but it's always like they say like it's signing a deal with the devil mm. yeah like you give away a lot of the rights yeah. Yeah, and all those rights you were talking about is, I think it's a substantial amount of cash if you do reach that level yeah this thing 360 deals and whatever, yeah. whatever those are yeah Mm-hmm. Yeah, lor. but I I guess for 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 us as a small indie label, uh, we're not so calculative when it comes to that that kind of stuff. Yeah, but for some bigger established labels, uh, and sometimes the label might actually be a a a company that is owned by a bigger media company. For example, so the big media company would have a lot of opportunities to funnel the artist's management into the uh, the artists into the all these other media products that they're doing. Yeah. So some if you're if the label is in that situation, and of course the label is looking out for certain specific traits and characteristics. Is it like to fit a certain portfolio they have? Yeah, for sure. Like draft teams, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, for and. 
for me, I just try to stay with stay within my lane, lah. Yep. Uh, I'm just starting out. You know, don't want a small, a small lane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So maybe some someday we'll, we'll have, I'll, I'll go into my own highway. Yeah. Are, are there certain things that you can you can tell the people listening to? Let, let's say like a young aspiring musician to look out for, so that they don't just sign a bad deal. What, oh. what, what are the clear signs that it is a bad deal? Any any keywords to look out for? Ownership. Ownership. Anything that tries to wrestle significant ownership away from you without giving you a, a, like either money or some like kind of kind of like guaranteed returns. Okay. Yeah. Um, so most distribution deals, uh, especially when you sign up online through those DIY services, DistroKid, TuneCore, whatever. And even, even like, for example, if you go to a distributor, like, uh, the Orchard or Believe Digital or you go to a, like an indie label like us yep. most of the time the deal that we sign with you is actually a distribution deal mm. Only, which means that the artist keeps the ownership retains ownership of their materials mm. and all they're doing is grant, giving us a license to do digital and mechanical reproduction okay yeah. uh, but there are some deals which are damn sneaky they will like put inside like once you sign the label gains a certain kind of like ownership clause or there might be other, some other things involved. Yeah, so you just have to be careful. You have to, best, most important is that you, you you need to be the owner. Yeah, and then if you're licensing out exclusive rights, then things like exclusivity period. Mm-mm, like a timing thing. Yeah, right? how long is it going to be for? And uh, also what the, 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 what is expected of you? The artist? What is expected of the artist and what is expected of the label? Yeah. Mm, you, you mean like, um, for, for example, like if the deal says you have to produce X number of music yeah. by this particular... Oh, Correct. Okay. You just have to be careful of some of these things. But I guess for a young musician, 18-year-old, like if, if even anybody takes interest, I think that's a bit seductive, isn't it? Mm. Like you're like, like a label of any size, really, taking interest in my particular craft, like you'll be inclined to like just try and see how it goes. Yeah. But also in this day and age, it's not like most labels aren't overflowing with cash. <laughs> so people are, so <laughs> are a lot more selective with uh, giving you money or yep. significant amounts of investment yep. in the beginning. Um, usually, most of the time, the deals just start with a distribution deal. Just to test water. Yeah. And if the distribution deal really works out, the artist is damn solid, hardworking, very productive, no mood swing. No, then you can think about like working with the person long term, right? Then okay lah. Then you can start offering a more comprehensive deals. Uh, yeah. Stuff Did it like used that. to be different? Did it used to be just full on like a full deal in the beginning? It used to be different, I think, because... The moment you enter into a recording contract, there's a really significant investment. That's what you were talking about. Yeah. Ah. So confirm the company will need to make the money back. The recoup. Yeah, which is why then you have all these very complex clauses, you have sales targets, you're expected to do certain kinds of gigs and brand appearances and et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Patty. Oh yeah, sorry. Uh, <laughs> songs that you consume. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, actually, I want to ask Bings yeah, before yeah, I go to yeah. my because mine is very simple because I, I I don't have these two hats as the label, but you have the producer owner. hat. Huh? I guess, I guess, yeah. 
but what I wanted to ask Pinks was because right now you have these two hats, right? Like a label owner and you listen to music in a certain way. Hmm. And as a listen to music personally, um, does it conflate the way you listen to music and do you sort of like feel like it changes the way you hear it? Because okay, one example, the other day we were talking about uh, a song, a new song that we were working on. Can and then the, the first thing he mentioned was um, that uh, we should cut the intro. <laughs> we should cut the intro short. What What does Be, that mean in, in the context? Just, yeah. Okay, so the context is right now, nowadays, when because we use Spotify to listen to music, it really changes the way we listen to music okay. and the way the algorithms work. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. So how yeah. Spotify chooses music according to your liking is they see uh, whether you skip a song. Mm. Right, or whether you click the thumbs up or thumbs down kind of thing. So as long as you listen past how many seconds? Thirty seconds. Thirty seconds. It count. It counts as a one stream. stream, right? Yeah. And if you skip before then, it counts as a skip. It counts as a skip. And that's a penalty or bad thing. So that's like a. So then the algorithm will go. Okay, this person doesn't like this song. Yep. Doesn't like artists like this. Um, with these metrics, because Spotify has their own set of metrics that measure yeah. a song in terms of like it has what valence. Uh, yeah, I mean, what, I, danceability. It's 10, ten or eleven traits. Mm. Mm. Basically, it's just it's just think of it as like a giant machine learning network. Okay, and then they they based on analyzing like ton, millions of songs, they they realize there are all these variables, right? Uh, BPM, temp- BPM, valence, which is like happy or sad, danceability, acousticness, speechiness, and so on. Yeah. Okay. It's like yeah. very technical, yep. pretty pretty technical yep. stuff. But basically, you know, it's a, it's because machines aren't able to listen to music. They don't. Yeah. Right. Machines just look at the ones and zeros, yes. yeah. the pattern of ones and zeros, and they try to ascribe certain labels to yep. it. And so this is how, uh, the they teach I don't the think algorithm, it's just Spotify, yeah. but just yeah, Spotify yeah. is like known for for having a very powerful system that yep. can do this. Yeah. What about other platforms? Sorry, what about other platforms like Apple Music, YouTube, YouTube Music? No. Oh, uh, YouTube. The YouTube one also even even better because YouTube they have access to Google Ads, they have access to your surfing habits, your browsing <laughs> habits. Jalats, yeah. yeah, and so <laughs> the way the the YouTube algorithms work, right, is wow. Next them, level. Next level. Next level shit, Black man. Mirror. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, and that's why the YouTube algorithm somehow can always recommend things that you like on. Ah. Okay. There's like this rabbit hole. You this is this rabbit hole phenomena where mm. somehow you just like, whoa fuck, I didn't know I would even like this yeah. kind of thing, but then I spent two hours <laughs> yeah, watching it. It's 3 a.m. Then you go school tomorrow. It's like you see those comments, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you scroll down. Yeah, yeah. We're all here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So YouTube is even more disgusting in a in a good or bad good way or bad up to way. you. Yeah. 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 So so uh yeah, so like back to the back to the question. So sometimes from from our experience and and from from uh, as a as a as a music distributor, you have access to a lot of music data. I all the songs that I put out, there is an analytics platform that I can just go in and look at how, who's listening to the song, yep. uh, what's the skip rate, things like that. Mm. Yeah. So mm. so of course naturally you you start to notice some patterns la. So songs with like super long intros, um. Unless someone really loves who the artist and really likes the song, most people don't have the patience to listen to like a 30 second or one minute intro. 
one minute intro meaning there is no vocals it's just for the first melody. one minute yeah. it's just like that's quite long. the general rule is that the song needs to start within 30 seconds right yeah because you want people to listen for at least 30 seconds and it counts as a and then the yep, chorus yep. hits around the one minute mark okay yeah yeah that's like the formula <laughs> inverted commas <laughs> air, air yeah in uh in this in this in, in the, in the way we con- yeah, consume music on Spotify. Yeah. Is. So, uh, like, I think there's some studies done on how a lot of songs nowadays sort of fit into that formula mm. Mm. because the, they, they have to rely on their algorithm to get the music out there to yep. as many listeners as possible. Yep. So back to my question then, like, do you not feel these two hats that you have sort of conflict with each other? Like, as an artist listening to music and then there are some songs where you go like, oh, damn. The intro is damn long, but it's damn short. You know, there are some songs yeah, that yeah, yeah, just yeah. have that um, very long build up. Do you listen to Falls? This band called I, I Falls? used to. Yeah. Okay. What, so, what about them? So they have a song called Spanish Sahara. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which yeah. Which is like a damn sick song, and like yeah. it's six minutes long. It's a very slow burn. It starts so quiet, and it builds, 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 builds. But when it hits like climax at the end, right? It's one of these songs that elicit like um that spine tingling sensation yeah. when you hear it. Um, uh, in fact, scientists that studied this like sort of neuro, th- um, neurological thing that happens to you with when you listen to certain songs, yep. always use that song as an example Falls, in their study. Spanish Sahara. Spanish Sahara. Yeah, you can, you can look it up. But would you say that their popularity was before all of this? But that's the thing also, yeah. right? So it brings back to your point, Pings, about yeah. whether you have enough critical mass of listeners who are willing to... Yeah. Do you think they will survive in this day and age? Mm, like if they came out new? Like, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I think so that's yeah, for definitely I, I will look out for this kind of stuff. Uh, but also I it's important for to, to have the conversation with the artist as well. Like what are his or her expectations of the music? Mm. Mm. Because some artists are are not that interested in they really see you as some functional role. I just want to get my music out. I don't really care, you know? <laughs> and I'm willing to to sh- give you that cut of the revenue share. So, okay lah. Th- then, the kind of of, of artists, um, in a way, make my life very easy because they, they are, that's all they expect. Yep. Uh, but then there are also some artists who, are, who want to be on XYZ playlists. Mm. You limit, the playlist only has like 50 slots, to 60 slots for the songs, right? So everyone's trying to get on the playlist. So of course, in order to get get a place, um, you your song needs to be like fit into certain uh expectations that of what this kind of playlist music will sound like. Like the variables you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Okay. So um one of the the oh my goodness this is this is gonna become a very technical conversation eh? like all conversations. <laughs> let me <basically>. let me <laughs> try to let me try to simplify this. Um, okay, basically, right <laughs> when you release a new song, okay, the system has no data of the song about what this song is. Yes. So as you release the song, the first couple weeks, the way people respond and listen to it. The, mach- the the system is learning about this song. Oh. Yeah. So if the song, if a lot of people don't even give the song a chance, like people just like skip, 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 yep, skip, yep, skip, yep. skip, right? It goes down the list. It just goes down the list. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if a song 
people listen the whole thing and then people start to share they add it onto their, onto their own playlist these become positive signals for the algorithm to like ah positive response to X song X yep. recommend song X more often yep, yep. that's it because yeah. that's how they write the code yeah yeah so that's a very scary face if you think about it right yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's both good but at the same time very scary yeah yeah which is back to that point where you mentioned that like you don't really listen to new stuff mm. even though on spotify you can listen to anything and everything even though there's new there. music coming out every yeah. day yeah 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 because mm-hmm. the music feed the, 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 the algorithm just feeds you those things yeah. so how did that conversation between you two about him wanting let's say suggesting cutting the, the intro uh-huh. how did the conversation end or has it ended <laughs> actually I, I, I agree I agree with his point I felt yep. it was a valid point yep. even though at the point in time my initial reaction was like a bit like hey fucker because uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was quite emotionally invested in that song idea because yep. I spent quite a few uh quite a few nights a few days on it to get it out yep so but at the same time see that's why it's good to be in a band then you you can sort of people can sort of like pick out these things these these sort of things that you're blindsided by that you don't really look out for and um maybe it is not important to have that intro that much longer or you can make the intro longer when you play live you know all these sort of things yeah Yeah. and and so, so yeah it's it's you just got to come to terms with all these circumstances sometimes. And I mean, it really boils down to like what he said, what do you want as an artist? Do you just want to use distribution as a means to an end? Mm. You know, because you want to put it out there and like not really care. Or do you want to make something more out of it? Which links back, I think, to the point about this whole label business. Um, Labels just seem to be they're basically business partners nowadays. Yeah. And it depends on what you want out of your business partner. Because labels operate so differently nowadays. Different labels do so many different things. So many skill sets that they have. So it's just what you as a person who's coming out with your product. Who do you want to partner to take on yeah, the if business you pick side? Up the lot, basically. Yeah, exactly. To take on the business side of yep. your of your own little business that you're starting up, no? Yeah, man. Yeah. I'd I like to continue the question about your consultant oh, habits. Yeah. <laughs> Before I move on to what uh, question I think Peng Sing will find very interesting. Sure. Yeah. Um, for me right now, I I'm trying to get a bit more into um uh, I say songwriting, but it's not as if like we haven't been writing songs. <laughs> already <laughs> sounds like i like just started yeah. but um it, it's I, I guess it's always a learning process like there's no i don't feel like there's an end state where you sort of like made it okay as like in whatever craft you do i'm not sure if it's the same for you guys when you do your illustrations and you do your designs and mm. everything right there's always something new to look out for and like something exciting that someone is doing that you never thought of before I think you have to you have to have that mindset to to even perceive that there's something new. Yeah. 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 Um. So I'm trying to. Uh, it's a couple of things for me. Um. The first thing is I try to listen to as many different things as possible. Like within music or outside of music. Uh, I guess both. Okay. Music. Yes. Number one is so that I can fuck up the algorithm so that it <laughs> stops recommending me the same shit so that I'm not in a bubble. Do you actively do that? Uh. Yeah. Interesting. So I would, I would sometimes as, un- as uncomfortable it may be. Uh, yeah, but that, I guess then there's you got to be conscious of it and be comfortable being uncomfortable. 
with Whoa. what you listen to. Okay. Right. Um, and I feel that's always great. Like if you want to write songs to listen to as many different kinds of genres as possible because you're subconsciously building a vocabulary. It's just like, you know, if you want to write books, you got to read a lot, right? Mm. So that you sort of like ingest subconsciously, even if you don't really pick up things consciously in it. Somehow, especially when it's music for me, your brain will like store all these sounds in your head somewhere mm. in the subconscious. And you got to shit it out. Uh. And then it will somehow come out. Yep. Here and there. Or like, you know, the neurons somehow will connect if you're going down a certain pathway and then yep. it will like spark up this thing yep. that you have heard like two years ago or maybe just last week. Yep. Yeah. So it's about like maintaining that diverse vocabulary for me. Um, and also the second point would be, shit, what was I trying to say? The first one is a diverse vocabulary and the second one is... Songwriting. Something to do with songwriting. Ah, fuck, I don't remember right now. It must not be important, but yeah, it's basically <laughs> it must basically along those lines, lah. So as as your role in being a songwriter in the group, have mm-hmm. you ever wanted to pick up an instrument? Looking at them, have they ever taught you yeah, picking up an instrument? Oh. oh, actually, I play ah. uh, guitar, not as well as pings. Um, actually, improve a lot. <laughs> I deprove a lot. Eh, sorry, <laughs> both, yeah, both, both, both. No, um, and um. Shit! Sorry, sorry. I, I zoned out there for a while. <laughs> you you oh you, you play. You, you've been playing since, since like yeah. the mini long ever since you bought the this the mini. Okay, so I I don't think in terms of like instruments. I I guess I think in terms of sound. What do you mean? So if there's like a certain sound that I wanna to put into the song, yeah, then I would experiment with whatever means necessary, whether it's a virtual instrument, it's a synth. It's a bass guitar or normal guitar okay. or like an affected voice or vocal part. Mm-mm. So I think of it, instruments in terms of that way, they are like tools to basically what you want to come up with. Okay. Well, I guess that links to that second point I was trying to make, which is um, listening to as many different genres so that your mind is exposed to different timbres. What's a timbre? Um, types of sounds. Okay. Yeah. Tones. Tones. Like, okay, let's bring up the Bling 182 example. When yep. you think of Bling 182, what how would you describe their music? How would I describe it? Yeah, what what kind of sounds do they have? Uh, I think it's more it's more anecdotal. Um, it's very early two thousands MTV after mm-hmm. school. Mm-hmm. Um, these kind of memories with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a very consistent. Is that a guitar riff? Like yeah, there are a couple yeah. of notes. I, I I think they repeat the notes. Um, the drums are very um, how would I say heavy. That's mm-hmm. heavy yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, that's how I would describe it. I think it's consistent throughout all their music, even for some of the slower ones. Mm-hmm. I guess some 41 is another one. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, those were the bands that got me into music also, by the way. Mm. Playing 182, some 41. Yeah. One of me got me into playing guitar <laughs> and everything. Um, actually, it's interesting that you brought up things that are not related to the sound. You're talking about things like memories. Nos- nostalgia, memories, yeah. anecdotal things. Yeah. Even um, the album artwork. Yeah, even the music video. I mean, I think always oh, has that yeah, one with the, the tree thing and it swamps. Yeah, yeah because yeah. uh yeah, because of MTV back then. That that's all you have. That's I I guess that is your only way of, of experiencing music. Right. So right. and when you get to YouTube and you can view it and you really start to appreciate all these 
uh, the effort being put into a music video, you can re- rewind, you can take a look at it and you yeah. can so cool. actually see, oh wow, it, it's quite artistic. Yeah. It's so visual for you, which I guess that's that's where your your like uh, tendencies lie. That's why you became a like a graphic designer. I hope so. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's so cool that it's so visual for you and it, it, it triggers all these visual things. Do you all perceive it differently? For me, apart from like the nostalgia of it, it's like the sounds and like the emotion of the song. Yeah. Um, how it made me feel. The emotional content. Yeah. Uh, when I first listened to it. Is that the light motive thing that you guys were talking about? No, not, was it not necessarily. Um, the the feel of the song, man. Like, it's not just happy or sad, uh, but I. I I can hear a lot more. Sometimes mm. it can be like a very weird feeling. Mm. It's like sad, but then there's some bit of frustration or regret, or basically like being able to ascribe more like complex feelings. Yeah, yeah. And the stuff that I really cannot stand right is when I really get an ambiguous feeling. Mm. That means I when I hear this, I I don't know what to feel. That kind of stuff is just like very unsettling for me. Okay. You have any examples? Um so Shot what's fire? one song you've listened to recently that gave you the ambiguous feelings? S- small lanes. Whoops. Bank of my life. I forgot the title. I was listening to it. Um, but I understand like the, the kind of ambiguous feeling. What kind of song maybe. was it? Uh, acoustic song? Oh, uh, song? It was like a bit of electronic, electronic one. Oh. Yeah. So harmonically ambiguous, the the chords have a lot of tension in mm-hmm. them and the tension is not resolved in any clear, happy, sad or mm. angry way. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Mm. And then the, because there's no harmonic or melodic release then like the whole song just becomes very ambiguous okay and I why that kind of music <laughs> so interesting right whereas for like bands like Blink 182 Sum 41 like even though Blink 182 is not like the, they are not the most virtuous virtuistic musicians yeah right but somehow they managed to connect with so many people and inspired generations really yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. to pick up the guitar songs, yeah. because they were they were sort of like manifesting and like uh, creating this emotion through their music that a lot of people could relate to. You and I think you, that's, yeah. that's, that's the hard part of music and like the ultimate end goal with whatever it is that you create. Having that emotional connection. Um, my favorite Blink-182 song was Adam's song. And like if you look at it right, it's like it's like a damn stupid riff. It's like what a teenager would play. But do you think it was a simpler time back then? Um that that played a part to their success. Simple. They had this one channel, which is MTV, constantly playing their songs, and I think they 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 fit a certain look as well, a certain image, and you had magazine, you had like a, a, a slower means of rolling out a media. That's true also. Yeah. Less things fighting for your attention. Yeah. In a way. No right? social media. No, no yeah, no Only got magazine, media. MTV, newspaper. <laughs> hmm. But that's not to say that there was not complex music at the time that was appreciated also though. Yeah. Hmm. I think it's quite hard to say. I think when it comes to these sort of like 
uh, iconic cultural moments is like you you just can't tell. Yeah. Um, it just happens, yep. and like oh, there's so many conditions that have to be right. Yep. For it yep. to come into fruition. Yep. I guess in the case of Bling One Eight Two, it was early two thousands, right? Late nineties. Yeah. Early two thousands. Yep. And the the cultural landscape back then was like all oh, your boy bands. Yeah. And your girl bands. Yep. Uh, Spice yeah. Girls, Backstreet Boys, everything. Yeah. Which yeah. Bling One Eight Two parodied anyway yeah. with the music video. It's such a stark contrast to like uh, NSYNC, Backstreet Boys. So I, I guess that contributed to that image because they, they they played a par- parody of it. Yeah. yeah. So probably it's a lot of like disaffected people who are sick of that shit. Yeah. Right. And then like, oh yeah, you know, something with guitars again. And it seems to be always in cycles. Um, if if you go back sort of like maybe like 10 years before that, that's how Nirvana came to prominence also, right? Everyone was sick of like the... Tippy? The, the glam metal, yeah, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and White then, Snake. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like hair metal bands and yep. everything. Yep. And then this band comes up with like their power cops. Which is so different. Yeah. yeah, right? right. So I think you just can't tell. I, I, I don't know if you can predict it. And I don't think the bands themselves that get famous at the time were actively pursuing these yeah. things. Yep. Yeah. They're trying to be, I guess, in a sort, sort of way, counterculture. Lah. Yeah, exactly. You, you hear a lot of comparisons to, let's say, Blink-182. Uh, they're often called, like, sounds of a generation. Mm-hmm. Do you think there's any these days that come to mind when you, when you hear that particular phrase? Sound of a generation. Is it in music in general? Hmm? To, 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 to you guys. Home. Mm. Meme music. <laughs> <laughs> What's meme music? Meme music. Yeah. Almost uh, What what is that? Basically just music that that become famous or popular because it was part of a meme. Is it like a TikTok thing? Yeah, like TikTok. Uh the the like the way TikTok suddenly became so popular and so important to for 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 new artists and new music mm. to become popular, yep. yeah, this is something that's quite interesting. Because um, it's nothing new; it is a video sharing platform. Instagram has that. I guess yeah. YouTube does that as well. But what do you think contributed to its sudden uh, success? Do you think it's because it is so um, uh, what's that word for it? It is so quick. It it is a short video. Yeah, it's it's, it's very impulsive to to a certain way. Yeah. yeah. And usually it's there's like humor. The content is like driven by humor. Mm. Yeah. Super lighthearted stuff. Yep. So um people just see it and it's funny, ha ha ha. Like uh, then they share with their yep. friends and they try to mimic it. Yep. They they create like derivative meme yep. ideas. And then just suddenly the song starts charting. Yeah. Because people people are searching for the song, and in fact, they usually don't search the title or the artist. Search the lyrics. They search the meme. They search the meme. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay. Like, like the Drake. The Drake <laughs> what's what? the Drake? The, like, I don't even know what's the title of Which the Drake. God's plan. The Drake song that became the meme, but everyone just like sort of remember it as like the meme. Some. <sighs> Which one? <laughs> Describe the meme. <laughs> You can act out the meme. If yeah, you yeah. Want. Describe the meme. <laughs> What's the context of the meme? Like that. Like, oh, this is so embarrassing. Also, like as a, I'm supposed to know this. Not really. It's like, there's too uh, many memes. Man. Yeah, too many memes, man. Okay, let me think of something like. Not uh, God's plan. Uh, uh, 
I know oh, okay, okay, not God's plan, not God's plan. Um, back Raiders. This is an old meme, old meme. Oh, back Raiders. Yeah, okay. like the, the what, what is it? The, uh, it's a meme. The someone shooting stars. Shooting stars. Okay, see, so now we know the song, but the meme started out as like a person falling, a down. person falling, or a person tumbling. Okay, right, and then someone would take that, mask it, turn it into a a, a gif, or okay. just like mask it and loop it, la. and then loop it, and yeah. then he'll be like tumbling through space suddenly yeah. or like tumbling through a whirlpool something like yeah. very ridiculous <laughs> very ridiculous yeah. things just like yeah. ridiculous like taking out of context and then like making fun exaggerating how the guy tumbles oh god describing it, it makes it sound so unfunny yeah. no but then, <laughs> and then yeah. the, the backdrop to it is this song yeah. that just sounds equally ridiculous like, like okay and it was just freaking funny because it, it fit the visuals so well in like this how it's so stupid looking and ridiculous yep. and the song made it so funny because it sounded quite comical as well mm-hmm. and then people just started making so many different versions of it and like like it was like a virus lah. that's why it's like memetic right it's yep. like a meme yeah. it's just like took on a life of its own and that song right was a freaking old song when was that song released I'm searching it's like it's by this I think they're an Australian producer DJ duo Okay. Called Bag Raiders. And they even changed their name after that. Yeah, okay. they're called Modular People. No? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that was when they were in their old name. And the song was freaking old, but someone took it, put it in that meme. Yeah. And because of that, the song suddenly became resurgent. But do you think knowledge of all this, um, it's kind of like peak internet right now. That you can <laughs> yeah, use know, right? comedy. You're not even searching based on lyrics. You're not searching based on artists. You're, you're, you're searching based on someone's parody of it, which I guess is transferred through the idea of uh, memes uh, and even comedy, really. Yeah. It's, it's like, this is really the byproduct of internet culture over the past two decades or even the past three decades, really. Definitely, man. Um, I would say memes are... It's very interesting living through this era of memes. Mm-hmm. It's like... I. Like culturally, sometimes you, you just got to stop and realize that what we're going through with all this is so unprecedented, right? Yeah. I mean, for us, we've lived through pre-internet. We have. Right? So yeah. we don't know what life is. We know what life is like without all these kind of things. And then like seeing all this and wow, it's, it's such a whole new thing. But at the same time, we're enjoying it. What are your <laughs> thoughts on memes? Thanks. Oh, I love memes. <laughs> yeah. Um, as I, a sociologist can you yeah. break down why memes are so popular and why people are adopting it as a means of communication yeah, as strangely. a means of like softening the blow of reality uh, that is actually I mean that one can come a bit later but I, yeah as a, as a means of communication actually I think it, even before the internet there were already memes just that we didn't really call them memes oh. so they would they can be um, certain ideas or sayings or icons that are instantly recognizable and then people repurpose them. It's like a symbol? Yeah, can, they can be symbols. Okay. And then people repurpose them and uh, they become easily recognizable yep. across different forms of media. Yeah. Um, those can be considered memes of pre-internet days. Mm. Like, like something funny that happens and it becomes a saying like you don't put the cart before the horse, you know, things like that. Ah, okay, guess, okay, that okay, might okay. very well be a meme because it was like a thing that 
happened and the saying just became immortalized. Oh, that's interesting. Over okay. over many, many years. Yep. But I just like now the, the process because of the internet is just like sped up. It's amped up. <laughs> it's accelerated <laughs> to an incredible pace. Yep. And then also because of digital reproduction and mediation, yep. uh, your these things are able to be taken out of their original context yep. to the point where they have no more context and they exist on their own <laughs> yeah. as a meme. <laughs> and if you know, you know. Yeah, and if you know it, you know it. It's so hard to explain it to someone who doesn't. If you don't know, you have to go down the rabbit hole and like track the whole thing yeah. just to get up to speed up with the context of why people find it funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and so that's the way I, I see it. Uh, and maybe it's, uh, it, as as to the, the, the portion where your people are using memes as a way to, to escape a uh, harsh or sobering reality. <laughs> uh, maybe. Isn't that just humor in general though? Yeah. Yep. Right? Yep. People have always been using humor to like... Like a, like a sort of relatability. It's a coping mechanism. Yeah. You need to laugh at your... At the, the dark things happening in your yeah. life. If not, you'll just kill yourself. <laughs> or you'll kill yourself anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you die also, even if you don't try to kill yourself. <laughs> yeah. Mm-mm. So, um, I do have a question. Uh, what is at the end of, let's say, s- streaming services? If this continues, what you take it to its logical conclusion. Would the production of music be a bit stunted? Would you not see like uh, a song like that, full song ever again? Because it, it, it is one track. I, I don't see it going back to the way it was. I don't see, let's say, a resurgence in vinyl or again and takes over as a means of selling. I see perhaps even Spotify going on into the future or maybe something else taking over, but it, it's going to be uh, built upon this uh, layer of uh, digital uh, machine learning. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what what does that mean for the future, I guess, of music? Your personal thoughts? I don't know, man. <laughs> but my first thought about this is that um, uh, right now Spotify is pivoting to sort of become the, the be-all, end-all for all music consumption. The model. <laughs> right, like first they bought Joe Rogan's podcast. Oh dude, 100 right? million, man. And um, <laughs> so everyone is sort of like predicting that Spotify will be the label in the end. Yeah. Right, like they will be the ones that fund the artists. Is that, is, is and, that a scary thought? And be, like Netflix law, right? That's yeah. how Netflix pivoted and became profitable. Right. So. Correct. Yep. Yeah, so that that seems to be looming in the immediate future. And you guys are all, I guess, using the, the particular platform. And yeah. if, if they were to change the rules, I think that's a lot of the, the fear. Um, let's say if you're a YouTuber, you, your, your entire livelihood is based on YouTube. And when they change a certain rule and you're not privy to that, mm. things like a three strikes and you're out there. Yeah. I don't know if that exists for Spotify. And if they change a certain rule and that is a major, major audience base. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, it. on one hand, it's scary, but also people are, are constantly finding ways to game the system and, okay. and get a hit. So uh, there are very unexpected ways which Spotify is used, mm. such as like, I mean, most of us just listen to like regular music, right? But then yes. Spotify also has... Like random Foley recordings, you know. What's Foley? Like you go on Spotify and search Fireplace. 
fireplace. Yeah, and okay. then there are like entire 20, 30 minute longs of long, long tracks of just a sound of fire burning. <laughs> So or you ASMR can, shit. yeah, it's, or you can go and go Spotify and search like train sounds, and it's just like a ten minute of the huh? Yeah, I'm not surprised. A lot of people, the most common ones is like ocean sounds or rain sounds. Ocean sounds, rain sounds. That, that, that would make sense uh-huh. because people use that to to relax. Yeah, yeah. But uh-huh. trains, trains, a bus sound also have. Got factory sound, okay. basically like noise, ambient noise. Is, is it for people to 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 take it and do something with it, or is it just for people to actually consume? I don't know, <laughs> don't know man. man. Yeah, it's, it's like weird. a hidden part of Spotify. Internet is a weird place, <laughs> right? Yeah. At, at one point, also some bands even just uploaded silence. What to Spotify? Yeah, that was a whole thing, though. Is, is that possible? Wolfpack. Yeah. yeah. What is Wolf Wolf? Wolfpack. Wolfpack. V U L F P E C K. Were they trolling Wolfpack. the system? Yep, they were. Did, were they, they effective? Yeah, they made twenty thousand dollars. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so basically they created they released an uh, album full of tracks, but yep. the tracks are actually just silence. And they told all their fans to play this rec- this this album on loop when they go and sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. So this happened for like one week plus, two weeks maybe, before Spotify realized what they were doing, so they yep. took the music down. Yep. But during that period of time they made like twenty thousand wow. dollars. Quick cash out, yeah. Yeah, yeah man. So this is just one of the weird ways that people use technologies for in ways that were not expected. Yeah. So that's one and then the, the other thing is like now because of playlists and so uh everyone is finding all kinds of ways to so-called game the algorithm. Uh, Sometimes people use like bots and whatever. Oh, 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 really? Bots, yeah. To to like and manipulate Spotify streams and stuff like that. Yeah. So, people are always finding ways to gain the system. And, and, uh, Well, I guess the speed at which uh, an artist put out music and let's say if the if, if if the algorithm doesn't favor it, that it goes down the list and down the list. Yeah. And that is what, two two months worth of work. And then you kind of have to 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 gather everybody together to put another piece of music. So, and the speed at which this happens, mm. do you foresee it being very, how would I put it? There is no sense of appreciation? Uh, No, la, no? I, I think the people will still find ways to engage with the material okay. or engage with the artist. Yeah. It just like how in the past where, you know, you would, you have the physical album and you have like the booklet and you read and all these things are very precious for you to build, create that experience yep. of consuming music. Nowadays, you don't have the physicality, but people still crave that engagement, right? So they just go on social media and on social media is where they engage with the artists. So the 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 maybe for example someone's Instagram profile the, and the content they put out is also part of the product that is being consumed along with the musical recording. So the artist is part of the product as well. Yeah, the artist is the product. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're basically. <laughs> it's such a sad thought. Everyone on social media is some form of a. Of a whore. Yeah. <laughs> really. Everyone really is. To, yeah. Is it like an acceptance and a, and a moving with the time thing? Yeah. Because, I mean, there's no, there's nothing. We can, 
we can always find ways to negotiate the technology and 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 um use it in ways that serve our own personal needs. Uh. Yep. Yeah. But like broadly speaking, uh it's 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 not easy to comp to 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 oppose the system or go against it. Uh. Yeah. It's hard to beat, uh. Mm. Because you're basically I mean, this whole model is from the industrial age already, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, like basically the the owner, you're not the, you don't own the means of production. Oh, whoa. <laughs> I'm getting there. I, mean, yeah. I don't really want to go there, but I mean, it's basically just some sort of derivative of that whole model, uh, yep. I would say. Mm. Mm. Okay, let's, let's shift the conversation to more cheerful topics. Okay? Yeah. yeah, that's fucking depressing. Okay, <laughs> so I'm just curious to know what is both your individual's experience with like uh, Singapore music culture? Like of all? And what do you think, um, if, if any, y'all should adopt and let it continue? Because trends come and go and mm. yeah, what, what, what are some of the things that you like about uh, olden Singapore music culture and you think should live on and people should hear? Yeah, because with the 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 uh Peng Seng mentioned about the the means of production being a lot simpler. Yeah. There is a there seems to be a trend towards more um I guess do they call it MIDI? Like like more digital sounds, uh-huh. uh, more synth stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and they didn't used to have that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are your thoughts? Um What I really liked about uh, local music last time. And maybe it was down to like it being a simpler time and there not being many things to do. Mm. Um, but going out to see a band play was like an event in itself. Yep. Um, I'm talking about like the 60s and the 70s. Mm. Right. You got the quests, you got um, the, sty- the stylers, all these other great bands and you got great singers, Anita Sarawak, you've got... Uh, Damn, I can't really think of any right now, but everyone would go to all these like dance halls and the clubs, right? And they would hear these bands tea play. Dances. Yeah, yeah, the tea dancers. What dancers? Like, tea tea dance. When you drink tea? That's what it would call. Wait, for real? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. They were called tea dancers. <laughs> there's, there's like a book on it that uh, you can check out with all these pictures yep. um, of like our parents in that era yep. <laughs> <laughs> doing all these things. Um, so I like that. And the bands back then were like really successful, right? Yeah. And like on par with international artists mm. of that era. Um, but then it all got killed with the, basically the govern, government said no to music <laughs> and no to long hair culture. But yeah, fairly, fairly complex. Uh. Uh, both like domestic and international and technological factors mm-hmm. behind why suddenly the there was this exodus of music companies mm. and also musicians yeah is it uh, because we were we we had a we had a top-down directive of wanting to be more pragmatic is that uh, the case uh, yes and yes and no i mean firstly the british when the british left uh a lot of this the the, the basically music actually is a very bougie pursuit I mean mm. arts. Uh. Yeah. 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 And and things like the the tea dances and uh live music, being able to watch a band and being able to enjoy music, they kind of like like music in a band from a band or whatever. Yeah. 
uh, it's all this kind of stuff is like not accessible mm. to the common man, yep. so to speak. Yeah. So, uh, I think a lot of all these music purpose, musicy things, actually, really just existed to serve like probably upper upper echelons of society. Okay. Yeah, and so when the British l- left, so uh, I think a good chunk of this kind of anglicized culture actually no business really. Yep. Yeah. So that's one. And another factor could also be like uh, just how maybe say uh, the surrounding the neighboring countries and also Hong Kong and Shanghai started coming up. Yep. And so uh, actually Hong Kong I'm, I'm not so sure. <laughs> Yeah, but there would there would be surrounding nodes la, where of of where people would have more vinyl factories and stuff. Mm. Whereas in the past, actually Singapore had like four vinyl factories. Oh, wow. yeah, and and at, I think at the peak, if I remember correctly, they were pressing like a million discs a month in Singapore. Yeah, in Singapore, and they would deliver it to the rest of Asia. Mm. So there were like huge vinyl pressing factories in Singapore. This is like 50s. Never heard of that. Yeah, before. people don't even know about this stuff, but it's actually all in the archives. NLB has like yeah. archives of this yeah. stuff. Yeah. And then I am, of course, then one of it is also politics. La. Independence, political turmoil, uh, and then just government policy. And people started becoming very wary about... Uh, the music having certain kinds of influences on mm. people, yeah, and wanting to have like a very disciplined workforce to 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 cope with the 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 speed and intensity at which industrialization was about to take place. Yep, seventies, eighties, yep. yeah. So it was only like after like eighties, right? Then things start slowing down. Society started opening up a bit. Then the music and culture stuff started. So coming I guess back. there was. Think, taking that into account, there, there kind of was a gap, la. Mm. Yeah, it's like in the last years there was this booming culture. Then there was this gap of like twenty years. Yeah, and then before I guess things things are allowed to flourish again. I mean, even now, I mean, the government is trying to trying to promote a lot of the arts and yeah. trying to promote a lot of culture. But do you think it's too little, too late? I mean, because I, I think growing up, um, with the television with cable, you're always taught to to look outwards. Yeah. To look outwards. You always glamorize the, the certain appeal of, I guess, Western media, I guess even Eastern countries like Japan and everything. But there is hardly ever a focus mm. uh, back in Singapore saying like to 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 be proud of the 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 intangible products, the intangible culture that's coming out from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's always this label of Singaporean music. So that's really my next question. How do you all feel to be like a Singaporean band? Or do you think that in, in can we look forward to a time where that Singaporean is not really necessary? It's just a band. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Because that, 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 that's really the goal, isn't it? Because even for us as an arts group in Singapore, we don't want to be called a Singaporean arts group because I think that Singaporean is not necessary. Mm. If our product is good enough, it should be able to stand on a global level because that's mm. really the level that people should be competing now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh I actually I agree with you, but also as a as a sociologist, <laughs> the disclaimer. I don't, think, I don't think it's a it's necessarily a bad thing. Also, mm. because con like I mean, it's always about the context. If you are if you go overseas, 
in an international playing field, then where you come from is sometimes the question that people are interested in. Like, you just be like, oh, wow, this artist from Asia, this artist from somewhere. And that your your geographical or cultural location signifies something. Mm. Uh, then when you're in Singapore, then um, the sometimes the label comes up also because of nationalism. May not necessarily come in as a as to have some kind of negative artistic connotation. Yep. As us artists might sometimes be like, sometimes we also don't want to to be only known as the a good local band. We just want to be a good band. Yeah. Right? Yep. Uh, but I to 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 regular people, to policy holders, to certain policy makers, to certain stakeholders, that signifier of localness or nas- is uh, is a signifier for some kind of national pride or something mm. like so yeah so I, it it is like people just do the stuff that make that make their ego shook uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> actually i kind of agree with you yeah. it, it really depends on what context it's used mm. uh i guess like like what being seen in a local context when your localness is instrumentalized right then that's when it gets a bit like you said, like, why can't we just be a, a band? Why must be Singaporean band? Kind yeah. Of thing? Um, the thing about in an international context, where you're from is part of your story as an artist. So I think that shouldn't be ignored or shunned as well. If not, then why are we still calling it K-pop? Why not just pop? Like or, Cor- uh, okay. yeah, Korean, Korean pop, pop okay. or J-pop, mm. right? I mean, part of where they're from and who they are is part of that story. So that's why I think it's still okay to is use it. Singaporean pop a thing? I suppose, yeah. S pop. Um maybe more of like a Mandarin thing, S pop. Because it wasn't S pop it re- really resonates with like the Singyao community. What's a Singyao? So Singyao is like the eight, the late eighties, nineties era of Mandarin pop. And it's actually the Singyao people uh that uprooted moved to Hong Kong and Taiwan. It was like the JJ Lin. Yeah, and, and then yeah. they went on to to provide that kind of uh media international the early coverage. the early connections that mm. made J- things like JJ Lin, Steph Sun, Kit Chan yep. possible. Yeah. So there is that historical aspect to it. And and which is why I think now sometimes when people think of S pop, they, they associated more with like uh the Mandarin side. But I think to today, yeah, S pop does have uh, the title. The, the 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 this title gets a bit more democratized, lah. People think of English pop music and uh, sometimes also Malay pop. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know, man. Does does it have a a meaning to you, like Singaporean music, like your impressions of it? Hmm. I never really listened to a lot of Singapore music. Mm-hmm. As I said, I I I I don't it, it doesn't it isn't available I consider whether it is Singaporean or not. I mm-hmm. think when I first heard of the band, I think Edwin recommended it to me. Uh didn't really tell me whether it's Singaporean or not. I listened to it, I was like, okay, it's cool. Yeah, it's nice. Then after I think told me that uh, it's local and I think Ping Sang's part of it, I was like, Alright, it's cool. Yeah. Because mm. I think it's a very different uh how would I say? It's a very different way of first encountering it. Mm. Yeah, because if you tell me, I might have some of a negative bias if it's Singaporean. Mm. Uh, yeah. 
But I, I, because because I rather uncover it uh, fresh. Like there is mm. no perceived. Oh, it's it's from uh, Japan. Oh, it's from. Yeah, because I think part of the algorithm that I find very very interesting these days that I, I think I found math rock from it. Oh. And I started listening uh, to a lot of, uh, uh, I guess, stoner rock, psychedelic mm. rock, and these are the bands that they, you you don't really hear from them again. They they put out a very good track, like a forty eight minute track, and it's like oh, okay, cool, and it just feeds you more and more. But you get exposed to a lot very very different ways of interpreting what let's say math rock is, let's say what uh, psychedelic rock is. Yeah, some with uh, blaring vocals, some with no vocals at all. Mm. Yeah, so mm. I I do like that uh, randomness and that. Uh, there is no, I guess, no nationality to it. Yeah, because I found some Japan, uh, Japanese, uh, I guess, m- heavy metal bands, and it's like, oh shit, yeah. If and 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 they sing in English, mm. yeah, which is like you you wouldn't be able to tell that it's from Japan. Yeah, because yeah. I think because uh, he uh, Ping Seng mentioned that the means of of making it it's so widely available with the internet. You can you can see what other people are doing. You can see what to do, what not to do, what to do special. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I do, I do think perhaps in, in, in perhaps in the future maybe the the notion of trying to support local or needing to support local I think it, it, it will be, it will be more ingrained mm, yeah. yeah you don't really have to like force it down you don't yeah. really have to, to plaster it all over the place yeah <laughs> would you say it's getting there things um <laughs> hard to say hard to say getting better for sure so the the thing about uh. So, I think when we when we think about music and popular culture, we're always very forward looking. We're always interested in like the next big thing. Yep. But that sometimes when you when you start examining examining the history and especially the material conditions which the popular culture is created under, right? Then you start to realize certain patterns, and with respect to Singapore culture and Singapore pop culture, um, there are always these little moments where people feel like, oh man, this this is coming up. This is this is this is it, man. This band, this artist is yep. gonna take our 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 local music to the next level. Yep. But actually, two, three years later, is there's a down cycle again. What do you mean by downside? So there are like these little cyclical patterns that, that, that happen alongside the economy, that happen alongside government policy. Uh, and sometimes it also has to do with the way the music scene organizes itself. Because in order to create a really successful cultural product, you need a lot of people to rally behind yep, it. Yep. It's it's never just the artist in his bedroom, in his or her bedroom, uh, creating some wondrous thing because then you would need the support of people to, for example, maybe recording mixing engineers to make it sound yep. good. Yep. And then you need to work with distributors to make sure the song is properly delivered to the right platforms. Yep. Yep. And you need a lot, a lot, a lot of marketing and branding it's a whole island. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, by the time you get to the point, right, and you really want to have a, a product that is ready to, to scale and so-called almost ready to export. Mm. Right. Mm. Because you were talking about how local culture is starting to transcend the localness and becoming tra- some kind of transnational cultural movement. Yep, yep. Yeah. To get to that point, right, you probably need like 500 people 
at some point or another, they would have worked on it and and injected a bit of effort. So it's like a molding, like a slow molding process. Yeah, it's such a slow process. You need a whole machine, basically. Yeah, you need the, exactly. The the, the most recent example I can think of is Jasmine Soko and her success, really, Mm. on, I guess, in, in China. And it is, it's like a two, it's not an immediate thing. It's like yeah. a two, three, even four years process where she really worked her way up, yeah. working with different people, working with exactly. directors. And the music video keeps getting better and better and better. Yeah. Jeez. Mm. <laughs> Amazing. And, and like on the back end, it's not just music video. You need proper business or financial institutions to raise money. Because who's paying for that stuff? Yeah. It's definitely not all coming up from her own pocket. Yeah. Even mm. even like a very savvy, uh, from, 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 from my... Uh, Bystander knowledge, right? I I, heard, I keep hearing that she is very business savvy. Yeah, she she knows how to navigate it, and on top of her very very strong artistic persona mm. and very hardworking, mm-hmm. fucking hardworking. Mm. And yeah. I think when she achieved, I think that success in China with regards to the competition, yeah, I think that really put like like shining back a spotlight on Singapore. It's like oh, from from this small island, yeah, this man. talent like brewing, yeah. Mm. I also I think I have to have to have to give a shout out to her management team. Yeah. Who's her management team? <laughs> her management team is like all the people at Warner law who yeah. are probably working around the clock. She has an amazing manager. Uh she what like Lynette has Lynette is she's been with Warner for a couple years. And uh the way they the two of them work together so well and they bang down all these doors, it's not easy. Mm. Yeah. And so, I mean, let's say we've even talk, talking about Jasmine. Um Sometimes it's not just enough to this to have like the kind of talent to or I she makes the stuff in her bedroom. Yeah. But also she's able to work with the right team yep. that is able to raise X amount of money to turn her vision, yep. artistic vision into something that yep. exists. Yep. Yeah, wow. So it really takes the whole kampong, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's really the team behind the artist that really mm. makes them. It's really, really important. Which yeah. is kind of why labels are still relevant in this day and age. Yeah. <laughs> as much as it's a very democratized process nowadays. Um, particularly curious, does music still fascinate you? Oh, yeah. Yeah? For sure. Um, I mean, there's so much music out there. There's no way you can listen to it all, you know, in your lifetime. Um, but there's always new things to discover about music. Uh be it like in terms of music theory or like mm. harmony or this kind of thing or music production yep. or um yeah there's so many things and and I don't know that's that's why I still like about um music um it's constantly chasing that feeling that you feel whenever you discover something new that you've never heard before and it makes you go like, ooh. Yeah. Like, ooh, ooh nice. You've never heard before. New music. What, new music. Yeah. Would you boil that down to just like, like a different way of interpreting something? Oh. Um, just like a new sound. A new sound. Yeah. Things you never hear before. Or like, it could be like, um, the, the, the timbre of it or like the sound design yeah, yeah. like uh, I guess I'll use Billie Eilish as, as an example it's mm. probably why she became so like famous right? yeah, could you explain because I, I, I don't get it yeah I mean okay so basically they are like it's pop music mm. um, but they, they they have such very interesting left of field ideas 
Um, she works with her brother, Phineas. Mm. He's the producer. And they do things like, oh, they co- record themselves striking matches. Uh, they record like um, a traffic light sound uh, when you cross the pedestrian crossing. And he uses that as like the hi-hat in the song Bad Guy. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, so it's, it's all these things. And like, I guess traditionally in pop music today, you use samples, but you don't use it like the the way that he does it. There's just something in the way that he produces it in the way he uses the sounds to tell the story um, that comes across as very authentic. And I guess that's why people connect with it. And that's how she became so popular, right? Yeah. Um, and also like the, her vocal production, I'm just a bit, a bit geeking out already. Uh. Mm. But like the, if you listen to Billie Eilish, her vocal production, right? She's, she's singing in like this very whispery, whispery yeah, tone. Yeah. But in order for the mic to capture that kind of sound, right, it needs to be EQ'd and engineered. The gain needs to be like set to a certain amount. And then the mix down is like, she's really like in your ears and she's whispering Mm -hmm. the words to you, Mm -hmm. right? And then this is not something that is very common Mm. prior to the way do Billie Eilish's music. Mm -hmm. Because the way the vocals is mixed, yeah, vocals like pop vocals right in front. Uh, so that everyone hears it very clearly, but it's also not in front until like it's the person is whispering. What in do you your mean ear. in front? Um, basically, <laughs> like it sticks out. It's like it's very prominent, like too prominent. Okay. Yeah, and it's not good to be like that. It's not. It's not good or, not bad. Good or bad. It's just, just depends on what yeah. kind of flavor you're going for. Yeah. So what kind of flavor does small life go for? <sighs> I don't God, know, man. Oh God, I think in very indie band, each each instrumental. It, the voice include is considered as part one of the instruments, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we we talked about this before. <laughs> You're like trying to get the same answer. <laughs> I know, okay. <laughs> like the eye movement. <laughs> <laughs> uh, make sure you also say the same. Say the right thing. It's not in the script. Yeah, but I'm curious. So because let's say if if. I would to look at it from an artistic point of view. Um, I want to try a different concept for each different piece. So, so what is the let's say the overall theme that that Mal Life tries to go for and tries to tell with with their music, or do you try to say something else with uh, the performances? Yeah, uh, I think it's a couple of things in terms of the music writing. It's it's like chasing that feeling so that that feeling of when you hear something that you've not heard before mm. and there are things in it that make you go like ooh this is nice so we I think that's what we try to do mm, actively yeah. when we write songs okay um, and sometimes that's the, the the hard thing to to write because it's, it's easy to write something that's comfortable and predictable and then you get stuck because you want it to go that little bit something different yeah yep. So that's why it takes a long while for us, I guess. Yep. And then the second thing is when we play live, we want it to be engaging. And in what sense? In like, you know, we try to be quite energetic when we play live. Okay. Um, that was one of the things that we sort of set out to do when we first started. Energetic sets. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Was yeah. that a, in, in, in response to something? Uh, I guess it's like sometimes when you watch a band play then they look like they're not into it like sad or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like sad or brooding or like they don't seem to want to be there okay Um, for some songs it works I mm. think you know, c- c- certain bands certain artists right but we always 
and uh, it's, it's, there's no hate on those kind of bands. Yeah. Um, but for us, we always resonated with the acts that that were always like good on stage, mm. very lively, and made you feel good, made you want to dance. Yep. Um, yeah, man. Yeah. Well, this something that you guys have to learn the stage charisma. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you, sometimes you watch videos of yourself and you just walk cringe, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Any, any particular ones? <laughs> Cringy ones? All of them. The NDP? Huh? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, NDP, even up till today. NDP. NDP was mimed, man. So it was. What do you mean, yeah. mimed? We weren't playing live. Ooh. Ooh. I don't think that's a big secret. Yeah, like, I didn't know that. Oh, is it? <laughs> Shit, we let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, the it's the same as like the Super Bowl in the US, right? Yeah. Okay. All these like big, huge productions with so many moving parts. Like, yep. It would be crazy to run all these things live. So many things can go wrong. Yep. So many points of failure. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So, it's just do it. Uh, you, did, you mimed it, huh? Yeah. And uh, it's okay. We didn't mind it because we understood the context of the show and mm. and what well, we were just a small part in the whole thing, really. Mm. So we were just there to do our things, just like two minutes, less than that. And then we were off. It was still fun though. Yeah. Is that a, like a big opportunity for you guys? NDP, yeah. yeah. I mean, NDP was a big thing, lah, I guess. Uh, Maybe from the Yusuf Town Hall <laughs> all the way to NDP. Yeah, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's always very weird. Lah, because on one hand, I, I have a lot of ambition and and aspirations and I want to do music and I want to be able to make a living from it. Yep. And so sometimes I'm very frustrated like why am I not good enough? Yep. Right? But then we sometimes also think back and we look back on all this pretty cool stuff that we've done in the past. And uh, it's it's like yeah, but not good enough lah. But still, at least we did some pretty decent stuff in the past. Mm. Yeah, I would say it's not because that we don't appreciate it, but I think we're conscious about staying hungry. Yeah, mm. that's 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 it. That's it. That's the main thing. Um, I guess number one, cause like we're getting older. So, <laughs> aren't you guys like twenty five? No man. Okay, so, so don't, don't say anything. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, older than that. Okay. But thanks for thinking that we're 25. <laughs> okay, we will okay. write with that. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, we'll write on that. FYI, uh, all the band members are 25. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, we, hello, fellow kids. Yeah, man. <laughs> 94. <laughs> so, I guess, um, would you all agree that the definition of success as a band or what success means in music has changed? Or as it has grown, as you grow as an individual, you yeah. grow as a musician. Okay. The, uh, I guess the success is also, it's just what you want out of it. A lot of it is self-defined, I guess, nowadays. Yeah. Right? Um. As with a lot of things that are creative pursuits, I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, I know a lot of people nowadays sort of feel the pressure to, if you're doing something creative, then somehow you must make money out of it. You know, or it must be yeah. legitimate. You must be doing it such that you're earning money or you're like making it for somebody. You can't just do it for fun. There's no more hobbies really. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> it's like a crime. Everything period. has become a side hustle. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yep. And there's like so much pressure and expectation from that. And 
um, some people just, you know, I just want to make my scarves or I just want to do I want to make my shitty cakes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, like that's, that's all I want to do. You know, I don't have to turn it into a business. And the moment like I make something more out of it, it's not fun anymore. Yeah. Right. Um, so in terms of success musically for a band, it depends for everyone. It's different. Some people just want to make something and just put it out on SoundCloud or Bandcamp and that's it. You know, it was just a fun endeavor for that period of time. Um, I guess I like to think of it as like, we shouldn't really think of ourselves in these labels of like, I am a blank, you know, I am a musician, I am a artist, I am a illustrator. Maybe it's more of like, I do these things. I do music, I I illustrate. Yeah. Think of yourself more as a verb. So that way it, you, you don't really have to like shoehorn yourself into like a certain category. Calling someone verbs also like an insult. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you stupid verb, you. But I guess, yeah, I, I agree with the notion of removing your identity from your profession. Because yeah. I think uh-huh. more common than not, people, when you when you meet someone for the first time, you ask, what do you do? Yeah. Mm. But that is, that doesn't, your your profession kind of doesn't sum up the, the entirety of, of, the, of the individual, of the identity, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Because yeah. we're yeah. also multifaceted. Yeah. Right? That's, there's so many things that make up who we are. So sometimes it can be quite depressing and like putting a lot of extra pressure on yourself if you have to fit this mold that you've declared for yourself. You raise your hand and say, oh, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm an artist. I'm a label manager. You know? <laughs> yeah. I have to do all these things now. And then there's so much pressure that you have to fulfill because you've already declared to the world, hello, I'm, I'm this person. Yeah. Um, but going back to Ping's knowledge as a sociologist, I think it kind of signifies something in culture today, right? tying yourself to your your profession. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it has always been the case, actually. Uh, because, you know, we live in a society. <laughs> 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 no, but, but really, we do. And, and our identities depend on, you know, the thing on also, also context right when if, for example in a relationship you are a partner lover yep. a parent maybe caregiver yep. Yep. but then at work then you have some kind of title or you have a particular specific role and all these things give you an idea of who you are yep. so um, it's natural that in most people like the the easiest way for people to first get to know you is to ask you what you do especially for a living mm. because capitalist society right so what do you exchange your labor for yeah or, or what what kind of uh labor do you offer up in exchange for wage so, you know? so that's the actual question people are asking yeah, you yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. Oh, when people God. ask you when we people use that line yeah. man hi yeah. kevin actually what i kind have of labor do you offer yeah. up for wage i i actually have done that before but people just gave me weird looks so maybe not a good idea <laughs> They call ISD. I just, yeah, I straight up. They will just I, not invite you to the party anymore. I straight up just be like, so what do you exchange your labor for? Uh, what, do you, what do you exchange, what do you give in, t- in return for wages, man? <laughs> can can Ping Sing take charge of the next writing duties for my life? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm actually really bad at that stuff, man. I, no, I think I... Yeah, something I, I I'm not I I I have, I have a lot of self loathe when it comes to my 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 own musical ideas. But you can impart that to the to the listeners. Yeah, it's like it's, it's like a it's like a thesis. <laughs> nah, I I I will stick to writing rants on social media instead. Okay, of, uh, <laughs> memes. Yeah, 
Okay, one final question for the night. Um, individually, what do you think music will sound like in the future? Oh dear. Hmm. I go first. Ah. Yeah, I, go ahead if you have thoughts. I think music will definitely be a lot more diverse. Um, because of uh, just the nature of music production technology in general. Um, and also because it the barriers to putting out music is so low. It's going to get lower and lower. And it's going it's to get lower and lower. Um, and there will be a lot of niche, different kinds of, of niches. Uh, the same way YouTube has like all these weird videos, there will be like weird music or even just sounds mm. that people want to listen to. And uh, the the internet and all these online platforms just make it possible for people to to seek yep. this kind of stimulation out, stimuli. Yep. Uh, yeah. That's the first thing that comes to my mind as to music of the future. So uh, don't beeps and bobs, huh? Yeah, man. Ones and zeros. Maybe you just perceive it as one and zero, but yeah. Wow. That's some <laughs> meta shit right there. <laughs> when you get a cybernetic implant. True I, digital music. <laughs> I, I have I have this idea, right, of, you know how MIDI codes What's MIDI codes? MIDI, MIDI is actually MIDI just like, yeah. like MIDI instructions. Uh-huh. And the same set of instructions, sometimes when you put it into a different MIDI instrument, you get a different output. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I keep having this like idea where you can write and arrange a song in MIDI, but then after that, you switch the instruments and inputs. So, the 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 sound just becomes all garbled up. Mm-hmm. And I want to hear what it sounds like. More life makes EP. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's just one Pivot idea. Pivot to noise pop. It's just like one weird idea that I have. So if anyone is listening to this, uh, if please you make stuff up. like that, please let me know. <laughs> <laughs> so Patty, what do you think? Future of music? Yep. Yeah. What do you think it sounds like? Or do you think it'll be just uh, pans and sticks and stones after the apocalypse? <laughs> <laughs> Back to Stone Age. Uh, inflating an animal bladder and beating <laughs> it like a drum. <laughs> Possible. Uh, I, I, I kind of agree with what Peng says. Um, in the sense that uh, it becomes a, a a uh, uh, sort of like an I- personal identifier for you, like already the the internet has so many dark nooks and crannies yeah. of things that never existed before. Okay, and the people who identify with it, and there are all these like different niches of culture and counterculture. You're talking about anime, right? <laughs> You're not talking about anime. Okay. <laughs> Anime included. No, anime, anime included. included. Okay. It's just one of them things. Um, Yeah, it'll be interesting. Actually, I just feel like music will just continue to be devalued mm. Um, in terms of like... It will just be a skill set. It just seems to me that it will be a skill set that is more common among people. Like, mm. and more and more people will be able to make music... Mm. Um, similar to his point about how everything's so democratized, 
Um, but I mean, you just see nowadays, like everyone who is putting out creative content, whether it's on TikTok or YouTube or whatever, they all have all these different hats ready. They're all editing their own videos. They're photoshopping their own graphics. Yep. They're yep. making their own sounds yep. and music, doing their own voice recordings, everything. So it will just be another skill set that one has and it would just be very common. Yeah. Sort of like, it, yeah, not, no longer a specialized thing that only mm. musicians can do. Anyone can do music. And I think it sort of just goes back to even before music started being commodi- commodified, as with a lot of like craft things and creative things, like basically this music is one of those things that anyone can do, right? Anyone Technically, can sing. Yeah, yeah. Anyone can sing. You can, yeah. if, if you put enough effort to it, you can learn an instrument. Yeah. It's so inherent to being human. Mm. And somehow it has been removed from us as human beings, it's one of the things that we do. It becomes like, oh no, if you do music, you have to sell it. Yeah, it's it's called... Uh, ooh. Say it, say it. <laughs> Please enlighten us. It's called alienation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we're alienated from the, the music that we create mm. because the, the, the value of music is actually now commodified and reified mm. and captured by the capitalist industrialist system to mm-hmm. end. So to the point where if I make music, and I'm not good at it, and be- and because the definition of whether I'm good or not is whether I can do it for a living in exchange, possibly with for some money, yep. or recognition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we are we are basically alienated from the product of our labor already because the moment the music is created, we surrender it and exchange it for some kind of exchange value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so you say what you're, I think what you're saying is is that. As the barriers of entry go lower and lower and lower, we are we will soon be able to reclaim that value for, for yeah. ourselves. Uh. Mm-hmm. Which yeah, means there'll be a shift in how people, I guess, appreciate, mm. how people perceive even, how yes. people create. Yeah. yeah. I, I think, yeah, I guess then that would be a good thing. Maybe it's a very naive, idealistic way of looking at what the future will be. Um, but yeah, then maybe more people would sort of like appreciate like, you know, musicians of a certain very high level and how they, they they dedicate themselves to the craft and produce music that's so good, so high quality and that, that the appreciation of music goes beyond being something that you just put on in the background, mm. you know, like where you go and do your chores yep. or yep. just something that you commute. Back to a make music appreciation as an act and an, an event in itself, yep. you know. And maybe yeah. overall the standard of music will increase I think it has increased to a certain degree. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. It's pretty much what I think will happen. Mm. Right. Thank you guys for the food for thought. Um, In closing, where can people find you? Where can people find your memes? Where can people find <laughs> your music? Yeah. What do people search for? Uh, Just search for M1LDL1FE. That's a mouthful, sir. <laughs> yeah, just like like wildlife, you know, but wildlife, <laughs> and then the eyes become ones. <laughs> yeah, it can be your next password for <laughs> any of your accounts. Indeed, <laughs> very hard to crack. So yeah. just uh, wildlife on Instagram, Spotify, Apple Music, Apple Music. Do you have any platforms you don't use? Uh, we are pretty much covered on most platforms. In fact, even if you search on like the Chinese streaming platforms, you should be able to find our stuff. Okay, and yeah. uh, the label is Where Are The Fruits? Where Are The Fruits? And to get in contact with you for any label matters, it's... 
Uh, on Instagram, just find, just DM us uh, at Fruitsware. <laughs> Where are the fruits? Like a bit mouthful, okay. and I, I do understand. So at Fruitsware, Fruitsware. It's a very Singaporean. Yeah, it's yeah fruits, the Fruitsware. fruitsware. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Thank you for your time. Thank you for spending close to three hours. Yeah. Damn. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you. What? Three hours. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and feel inspired. If you enjoyed what you heard thus far, do give us a follow on Instagram. And don't forget to share and subscribe. Stay tuned for the next episode.